The Power Trip is a proud member of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. You can find more, more phenomenal Kaiju and Tokusatsu content at kaijuramenmedia.com. What's up, everyone? It is JDF the Green Ranger, and you are listening to The Power Trip. It's morphin' time. Lisa! Hello, listeners with attitude. I'm Michael. I'm Nathan. And I am Jack. And we're continuing our journey through the Power Rangers franchise. In today's episode, we're discussing Saban's Power Rangers 2017. So, fellas, are we prepared to change hearts and minds with this discussion? Who's eating? Who is eating? Why are you eating? <laughs> Why are you eating? I at it's, least have the common... For, I've been saying for months I was going to eat popcorn because I was going to watch you guys right. it out. Oh, see, see, Nathan, come on. You're not going to get... I told, I've been telling you for weeks that you're not going to get what him? you want. Should we tell him we've kind of been talking behind his back, being like, no, this is not going to go down? Oh, I'm, I'm aware, <laughs> I was, but I still had to keep the joke going. I'm just saying. Okay, yeah. fine, 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 fine. Fine, 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 fine. Okay, Nathan, I will throw you a bone here. Huh? I will throw you a bone. Oh, I'll, really? I will, throw you, I will throw you a bone. I will, I promise. Hmm? Nathan, hit the button. Oh, no. Rentmaster activated. <laughs> Jack Hudgens, you Neanderthal son of a bitch. <laughs> Michael and that's that's Michael mm. Mm. honey mm. honey mm. 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 no mm. take a seat Michael take mm. a seat <laughs> now let, let's this is getting good we, we uh, well what kind of popcorn is it no uh, it's just plain old popcorn I used uh, with an air popper oh. it has a uh, nacho che- it has nacho salt on it it's great I feel Actually, like I should be doing is- this in my Rito voice. <laughs> no, please don't. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> my sister Man, got it, even hotter in this said, in this movie. You said plain wow. old popcorn. You, you said plain old popcorn, but I'm, you, you mentioned all of that. I just throw it in the microwave, so I can't really say. I mean, you have you. Have I usually cook mine on the kettle. <laughs> no, it's not a microwave. It's uh, uh it's one of those air poppers. You, yeah, you no, I don't in. have an air popper. I'm not that fancy. Oh, that's for the yeah. home star runner fans out there. Like, oh, I'm Nathan. I, I'm so fancy with my with my corn popper. Weren't you guys going to fight or something? No, we're just no. gonna pick on you for a few. Yeah, minutes. Exactly. Uh, uh, we're just we'll just we'll just we'll just turn it around on you. I'm Nathan Marchan, and I'm so fancy. I have a corn popper. I have a show where I talk to myself. You know, <laughs> sometimes that's the best conversation I can get. Whoa! Wow. Maybe, maybe, maybe the fight wow. between you two, and you just didn't know it. Uh, wow. 
you know, <laughs> at least, at least, at least I don't have uh, a show where I act out 13 of my personalities, uh, all in one, all in one episode. So, uh, <laughs> oh, Hey, it's 14. Get it right. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> okay. So this conversation is thoroughly derailed listeners with, oh, yeah. I don't uh-huh. know how much of this is going to be kept, uh, but welcome to the episode. And as you can probably tell, we have a very special guest, Mr. Jack Hudgens of the drift space okay. podcast. Yep. We're back. Finally. So Jack, so, so Jack for the, th- for the three people that don't know who you are, go <laughs> ahead and give a quick plot synopsis on your entire life. <laughs> It was a dark and stormy night there in Transylvania. Um, it was no, we. Uh, I'm I'm one of the co-hosts for the Drift Space, which uh, we we just recently started our season three, or we call it our phase three. Not mm-hmm. by choice. That was Rebecca's call, and well, which it's her show. Her. It's her show. Yeah, no. So <laughs> it, it's we we are down Dave right now. He needed to kind of take a break. Dave down, Dave down, and that yeah, he he's he's uh he's just hanging out and bouncing Betty right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, without context, that sounds a lot worse than when I say that <laughs> yeah, actually. That's a- <laughs> it kind of yeah, it kind of does. But congratulations on your first kaiju kill. I- yeah, no, there you go. That's uh. <laughs> I thought it was. Not, I don't. I didn't think it was bouncing Betty. It was bouncing Betty. Bouncing Betty. <laughs> yeah. So he's um, he's in our. For year, those of called. you who need context, listen to episode seventy of the Monster Island Film Vault. <laughs> <laughs> and so oh. it, we we kind of floundered for a while after our season two just stopped prematurely. Uh, a lot of us needed breaks. We went through yeah. you know we went through a lot of personal I guess trauma each of us, and mm-hmm. we you know the question just kind of hung in the air: What are we going to do with the drift space? And Dave, Dave was honest with us. He said, I'm just not in a mindset to podcast right now. I don't know when I'm going to be in a place to do this, but it's not now. And I know JR wanted to continue because he he needed something. He definitely needed an outlet to do that. And quite frankly, I needed an outlet to do that because we've both had have we we've both had our own form of uh medical ailments lately. And his was a lot more physical. Uh, mine was more mental. Uh, we both have been hospitalized for it. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, it, was, it was just one of those things where we needed to take a break, kind of focus on ourselves a little bit. You know, we're, we're still in that arena right now, I'll be honest. But I think we do the drift space we're kind of going back to basics with why we created the drift space to begin with. And the reason we created the drift space was basically for our own uh, well-being and mental stability mm-hmm. and, you know, taking it a little less seriously and doing things a little bit looser for us. Yeah. And, and I think that's been beneficial because we're, we really are less stressed out when we do the drift space now. And, you know, we, we have two new episodes up. We have kind of a, you know, where have we been episode and uh, uh, an episode on Dragon Ball. Uh, not was it was, was was the last Dragon Ball movie? Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Super, yeah. Dragon Ball yeah. Super Superhero. Yeah. <laughs> and and those honestly, those two episodes have been a joy to record, not because 
Uh, not simply because we got to talk about things that we were excited to talk about, but also because uh, the the prep took less time and we went we we kind of winged it a little mm-hmm. bit more, and it came off a little more authentic. Uh, uh, really? Uh, then so your sister is madly in love with a very large alien green man. Orange, orange green man now. But oh, yeah, 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 that that's that's uh, the gist of that. So uh, we, and you know, and now honestly, it, it got to the point where one day, and this episode hasn't aired yet. One day, I was just like, you know what? I just want to talk about Power Rangers. You know, I, I'm, I've been listening to the Power Trip a lot. I just want to talk about Power Rangers. Let's just talk about Power Rangers. And JR goes, you know what? Sounds like a good idea. So we called Rebecca like within five minutes of deciding that we just wanted to have a, a rant about the franchise. And uh, said, "Hey, we just want to talk about Power Rangers." She goes, "She goes, well, I don't have any notes right now." <laughs> and I go, "I go, well, good, because we're just we're just gonna we're just gonna wing it. We're just gonna talk about it." And I'm really excited about that one to air because it it was a very genuine kind of experience of just talking about a general topic, not a movie, not a specific season. We just right. went into it, uh, and of course, we we have a you you guys are coming on soon. Mm-hmm. for uh, 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 a special Power Rangers episode we have. And we had to get to that before you guys did. Mm-hmm. So, because we... <laughs> we oh, oh, don't worry. We'll be repurposing that episode next season. So. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> uh, borrowing and perfected? I mean, stealing? Bar- right. Stealing bar- and perfecting. Borrowing, yeah. and per- borrowing and perfecting. That's the shtick, Nathan. To give, you right. guys, to give you guys an extra two weeks off, right? Uh, <laughs> so, it was... <laughs> It was funny because JR and I, we, we've got to cover something Power Rangers before these guys do. And so we, <laughs> which we didn't think that through because then we go, let's invite them on. Oh, wait, they did cover it at the same time we covered it. So that's <laughs> like we, we get done yeah. with that episode. Like JR's cover, he goes, he goes, you know, <laughs> we didn't actually accomplish what we set out to do. <laughs> So, but we we uh, we have a ball with you guys on there. We can't wait for that episode yes. to drop too. Yeah, yes. neither can yep. we. But Michael, don't we have questions three? We do have questions three that mm-hmm. I totally did not borrow from our friend Kim. Um, <laughs> but those those questions are Jack. Who's what your is your Ranger? name? Oh wait. Who is? I'm going to ignore it. Who is your favorite <laughs> Ranger? What is your favorite Ranger moment? And what is your favorite non-Ranger franchise or piece of media? I, I like to leave that last question a little open-ended. God. All right, who's my favorite Ranger, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Divatox. Divatox. Right. That's my favorite Ranger. <laughs> no. Mighty Morphin Divatox is... <laughs> yes. And her two compadres. Uh, I was going to say, doesn't she count as two? Uh-huh. Three. Uh, three. Right. Her right. and her team. So uh-huh. I'm going to go with Jason. Really? Okay. The original Red Ranger. Yes. Okay. The original Red Ranger. And and he was my favorite Ranger even during the whole Green Ranger saga. Z, uh, he, he continued to be my favorite Ranger. And I I liken Jason kind of to Optimus Prime. Mm. Interesting. Bit. Okay. And, and well, here here hear me out. So my sister, I I'm sure you know by now, is a Transformers aficionado. She mm-hmm. 
I won't. never could have. I never could have guessed. <laughs> Shut up about Transformers. Uh, uh, specifically, she's got the touch. I'm just saying, but not the power. So she <laughs> has- he beat me to it. <laughs> so uh, she she has a great love for the character Optimus Prime and the things that he represents and whatnot, and and she really dug into the background of the character and how he came to be, and it was based on Peter Cullen. Peter Cullen is the the voice actor for Optimus Prime. And the character mm. was based on Pierre Cullen's brother, who is a Marine. Uh, he, he's long since passed away. Um, mm. But his brother told him, you know, don't make an overly macho character. Make someone who create and craft someone who is strong enough to be gentle. And that's how he kind of approached the, the character of Optimus Prime, strong enough to be gentle. And when I when I looked at Jason as as sort of this like great leader of of this team, I, I always got that kind of same sense from him. He was strong enough to be gentle. He he mm. he was commanding when he needed to be commanding. Uh, but he was also very, very gentle in the quieter moments. Like you would you would have moments where he's talking to younger guest stars and he used this more kind of uh parental voice you know this this kind of hey it's okay we're here for you this is what you can learn from this mistake and then other times you know when when the moment called for it it was all about huh putties could drive yep they could drive you know it was it was very (laughs) it was he knew the, the switch between the two always fascinated me because he knew how to be a strong leader when he had to be a strong leader. He knew how to be a gentle friend when he needed to be a gentle friend. Uh, and what, one of my f- uh, favorite episodes was when Lord Zed had created candles for the entire, the rest of the Power Rangers team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and imprisoned them all. And he was going to do the same to them that he did to Tommy with the green candle. Mm-hmm. And, and Jason has always felt guilt for not being able to get the green candle away from Goldar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this just compounded. This just, it, it was amazing to see the character uh, in a position where he could lose his team again, where he would fail his team. Cause that's always been his great fear. I think, was it, was it the Island of uh Island of Illusion. The I- Island of Illusion. Island of Illusion. What was his greatest yeah, yeah. fear? What was his greatest fear? It was it was uh, letting his team down, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, he he yeah. wanted to be. He had so much stress uh, being the man he needed to be for his team, and that was put in jeopardy when Zed created candles for the rest of the Rangers. And mm-hmm. I loved the situation where. You know, he's he's getting angry. He's getting infuriated. He's he's hurting a little even when he realizes what's going on. Zordon has to kind of like talk him down from the edge, but he's able to do it. He's he's able to take on this monster on his own. He's able to rescue his team and he does it so successfully. And I was I'll be honest with you, when when he left the show, I left, too. Uh, my mm. first hiatus of Power Rangers was actually when <laughs> was actually a little after White Light. Um, I stopped watching the show when Rocky and them came in. <laughs> mm. I couldn't do it. Um, and the only reason I came back is because I heard, you know, you know, the movie had come out and 
I, I was still, you know, I still liked the concept of Power Rangers enough to be like, oh, they're making a movie. Well, I'll go, I'll go see it. Even though it, to me, even at the time, it felt like Ivan Ooze, the movie co-starring the Mighty Morphin B team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really did feel like that. Like even Tommy, I, I didn't really, really truly consider one of the original Rangers. I, I just felt like two of the originals were in that movie and the rest were kind of like, you know, <laughs> where's, where's my team, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I watched the, uh, the third season begrudgingly, uh, Zio, of course I stuck with because it, it was such a massive shift in the franchise at the time. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember the the commercials going on for Zio and how oh, yeah. oh we oh, talked about it. Everyone's going. It's oh, coming. you did, yeah, yeah. And and of course, I stuck with Zio because I wanted to know who the Gold Ranger was. And good lord, was I in a great mood <laughs> when they passed those powers to Jason, of all people. Um, I, I don't know if that was the best route to go story-wise. I think it probably should have been Billy, but I, I can't argue against the fact that I got to see Jason <laughs> again in the role. So yeah. it was good to see him in that kind of six ranger position where he was like, you know, he was the cool one now, right? He was the one mm-hmm. with the shoulder pads that everyone loved. So uh, yeah, he and, and, and meeting Austin St. John, I guess we have to talk about briefly. Yes, I'm aware of what, uh, you know, he was accused of doing. Um, no, there hasn't been uh, a, a, a final say on whether or not, you know, he he did that. There was a lot of, there's a lot of celebrities out there who use other people to manage their funds and their money. And from my understand, that's what happened here. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm also one of those, you know, you're, you're innocent until proven guilty in a world that prefers to say that you're guilty until proven innocent. And, you know, the man I met, was very kind, uh, mm-hmm. was very gentle. Yes. And uh, I was, uh, I, I, it was a, a great moment for me uh, meeting him when I did. And uh, I, I even had to tell him, you know, because I'm, I'm a coach now. Um, and I, I, I won't say that he influenced me directly, consciously maybe, but I, I will say that growing up, a lot of what I felt uh, embodied uh, a good leader were the qualities that you find in Jason Scott. Mm. So uh, I'm going to have to go with Jason. Mm. I'm going to go with him for that. Did he answer the second question too? <laughs> I think he kind of did. With what the, was with the, the second? Candle. <laughs> the, the question was, what was your favorite Ranger moment? Yeah, I guess like, I think. It sounds, yeah, it, I'll go with that. It sounds as though you answered it. And I'll, I'll be honest, I, I, I was going to struggle with that. So I'm glad you kind of picked that out because I, I was like, favorite yeah. Ranger moment. <laughs> <laughs> so probably probably him rescuing his rangers from that yeah. either that or or him teaming up with tommy against titanus oh that was pretty cool too <laughs> yeah i i really yeah, enjoyed no, that too no. yeah yeah Perhaps. so non non-ranger franchise or piece of media jack well obviously we the three of us you know found each other through the godzilla franchise i love yep i love kaiju <laughs> godzilla all that jazz uh big fan of the batman franchise uh, you Gundam. don't say <laughs> uh and nathan you and i uh star trek yes uh, mm-hmm. a lot I, in fact i've uh, before jumping on here I, I was watching uh some next generation because i can uh you know it, it it's star trek is like uh, and reruns of star trek is like a comfort food for me i'll just have mm-hmm. it on as i'm working i've probably gone through next generation and voyager about hmm, 10 times by now in my life <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's well i just want to go ahead and jump into this thing so nathan cue the epic rock music in the Xenozoa cage, the Red Ranger Zordon is betrayed by his fellow ranger, the power-hungry Rita Repulsa, who murders the whole team to acquire the powerful Zeo Crystal. Zordon is barely able to stop her at the cost of his own life. Billions of years later, five outcast teenagers with attitude find mysterious coins that give them special powers, and eventually find their way onto the ancient ship housing Zordon's mind in a computer. Now they must learn to morph so they can stop the resurrected Rita before she destroys Angel Grove with a monster to get the Zeo MacGuffin. This this movie this movie is incredibly yes, tell divisive. us all about it. <laughs> this movie is incredibly divisive for for the Ranger fan base. Yeah, it divided your uh, brain for a while there too, Mister. Well, I hated did. this on Kaiju Weekly. <laughs> it did. It did. Now let me just say that. Let me just say this. When I first watched this movie back in back when it came out in 2017, I had been out of Power Rangers. Oh God, for a while. Uh, did for, you see it in the theater? While. I did not see it in the theater. Not a sir. true fan. I did get off the show. <laughs> I did not go see it in the theater because I really just didn't have an interest in it. On, on to be con- to be quite honest, uh, I did not actually get to see Saban's Power Rangers until it until it came out on home video, and it's kind of a it's kind of a, a funny, not really a funny story, but it's kind of a, a really funny, eh, kind of a funny story, whatever. So um, one evening I'm sitting at the house and uh, me and, and my wife at the time, uh, we want to watch a movie. So I say, hey, why don't you run? Why don't you run down? I'll cook some dinner if you want to run down to the Red Box. So she got some rom-com that I don't remember. Um, I think Kong Skull Island was out too on, on, on home, on home media. And she got Saban's Power Rangers as well. And she brings that home. And I, and I look at, it, I'm like, really, you want to watch Power Rangers? She said, no, but I thought you'd like it. It's like, oh, okay. So we popped it in. And honestly, my first viewing, I thought it was okay, but I had been out of the franchise for a while. I, I had been, I had been well out of the franchise at that point. Um, so fast forward till I, to I, till me actually going through my power trip on my own, um, watching all the, uh, watching all the seasons and then maybe, and then revisiting the original movie and then turbo and all that stuff. And so I get to power Rangers 2017 and I absolutely hate it. Yeah, absolutely, you were, the, uh, that was part of power Rangers month on Kaiju Weekly power, a year yes, and a half ago. It was. Mm-hmm. I, it was about a year and a half ago. I absolutely hated it. I know. I had this, vi- I had this visceral reaction to it that I did not ex- that I did not think was there. And the only way I know how to to explain my visceral visceral reaction to it was at the point of watching that movie, I had only seen probably the original like Saban era of shows. So I had context of what the original show was like, and this is nothing like the original show. So it, well. it's got, it's, it's got <laughs> well, hang on, it's got, it's got pieces and elements there, but it was so radically different that I had this visceral reaction to it. And I apps and for, and for the last year and a half, I have absolutely found every excuse to hate this movie. Uh, yeah. And yet you still pay 20 bucks to own it in 4k. So you could hate watch it. I mean, if I'm going to own some, if I'm going to own, if I'm going to own what I thought was the worst Power Rangers movie, I'm going to own it in 4K because I at least want to watch it in beautiful 4K. Well, um, I just think that's funny because I actually did 
go see this in the theater after a long evening of podcast recording. And I'm just like, you know what? It's adjacent enough because I was a, uh, that's when I had started my other Kaiju podcast. And so I thought, yeah, I've got some time and there's a late showing. So I'll go see it. And I was kind of indifferent to it at the time. And then I never saw it again in its entirety until I had to record for it for both this show and the Monster Island Film Vault. It's very serendipitous how that happened. And I, spoiler warning, am a heck of a lot warmer to it now. Mm-hmm. Jack, uh, when was the first time you watched 2017? It was in theaters, you know, and, and I, it, it was in theaters and I, I saw it twice. Uh, you know, it. you gave me kind of a rundown of how this episode of your show was going to go. And I wasn't sure how to give my opening thoughts uh, for for a movie that kind of feels like a very close friend now. Uh, I, I guess, you know, I want to kind of go back a few days before I saw the film in theaters uh, I was sure. reading. I was reading some reviews because part of me, you know, part of me wants to hear what professionals are saying, and the other part of me is masochistic enough to be curious about how far film criticism has fallen. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you mean cynical? You mean cynical, Jack? That too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the review that always stuck out to me it was a negative review, but always, it stuck out to me was one that lambasted the movie for having, and I'm paraphrasing, having uh, the line they said. This movie has not one, but two masturbation jokes. And (laughs) I only remember one (laughs) to be. I only remember one, too. Like, where's the second one? coming? I think I think I think it was both the cow. And when Zach says uh, when he's asked if they've morphed before, he says, oh, Um, I took that. I didn't take that as masturbation. I took that as something else. No, that's masturbation. That's a masturbation joke. Yeah, it's totally so. a masturbation joke. Now, to be clear, the reviewer wasn't necessarily appalled by the inclusion of these jokes so much as she was she was using their inclusion as an overarching example of the film's intelligence. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not unlike how people would use, say, the gonorrhea joke in Godzilla: King mm-hmm. of the Monsters to do the same thing, or the the evil oh, yeah. dies tonight line in Halloween Kills. And and in those instances, I would kind of agree. Those are very popular lines that have been used to kind of represent those films' screenplays in some sense or another. Uh, you know, because because so many people remember those lines, and there's mass ridicule for those lines. Uh, when I first went to see Power Rangers, I didn't care for the film, but even then, I knew that the masturbation gags weren't going to stick. Uh, good or bad, that's not what stuck out. And I bring this up to note that as a person who didn't appreciate the film right off the bat, I could sense that there was something going on under the surface uh, more than the gratuitous jokes or minor fan service or just another stagnant Hollywood superhero reboot. reboot. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and I, I walked out disappointed. Um, I, but, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was one of those rare times. Another time, uh, uh, I've, I've had the same feeling for a movie was for a film. I, I recently talked about on the monster film vault actually, mm-hmm. but it was one of those rare times. I left the movie thinking, did I miss something? I think I missed something. Mm-hmm. I missed something significant. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't quite think it was as transcendent as I do today when I watched it a second time, but I did feel like I had come away more fulfilled the second time around 
Right. Right. And of course, you know, that that the movie came out on Blu-ray and I picked up the uh, the holy <laughs> edition of the film Dragon Dagger. And <laughs> and I <laughs> and I watched it over and over and over, finding something new uh, about it each time, appreciating something new mm. each time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. movies that I continue to go back to and find something new about, no matter how many times I watch it, are um they're films I tend to feel have the most depth. Mm-hmm. And I, Power Rangers 2017, it's like this paradigm of that type of film for me. Something that is different wow. from the rest of the franchise and the genre. And does it not merely to be different, but to um, to touch on some very real ideas and themes that mm-hmm. are incredible, per- incredibly personal, not just to, to me, but I feel like it, 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 like as if it were built to encompass the multitudes of relationships and friendships in our lives, and emphasize how powerful and scary that can be. Right, right. And so, uh, so, 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 Jack, it sounds as though you and I don't we're not far off in how our how our appreciation for this film has evolved over the over the years. Neither one of us were super high on it when we first watched it. No. The old, the biggest the biggest difference between you and I though. I looked at it through the lens of a fan. Like, like I want, and, this, and I've told this to I Nathan. I think the word think you're I, looking I, for is nostalgia. Well, hang on, Nathan. Um, I told this to Nathan. I told, I think Jack, I told this to you, but if not, you'll hear it for the first time here. I, what I wanted from this movie was the 1995 movie, but just with a bigger budget. That's, that's yeah. what I wanted. Um, I wanted all the stuff that goes into Power Rangers. I like because to me, I still love that 1995 movie. It has its problems. I will admit it has its problems. It is definitely the Ivan News show featuring the Power Rangers. BT. But yeah, that's what I want. But that's what I wanted from the 2017 movie. I wanted I wanted Power Rangers just with a bigger, which is with just a bigger budget, mm-hmm. honestly. And the more I think what I think my feelings towards this movie started to evolve after because I watched the I watched the making of documentary first mm-hmm. before I, I actually was, I was going to say for anybody any of our listeners out there even if you hate this movie for whatever reason go on Amazon and spend the 5 or 6 dollars it'll cost you to get the Blu-ray and watch the special features and then I dare you to watch the movie again and not think differently because yep. That is one of the best Blu-rays that I've bought in the last five years. I wish Blu-rays was still made by that. Lots of special features, insightful special features, an animated menu. I mean, it has everything that they used to do. Yep. Now, correct me if I, now, Nathan, I'm sure you'll correct me if I get this wrong, because you and I've had this conversation before, but I, I believed that the 2017 movie was made by people who, who were ashamed they were making a Power Rangers movie. And you and were me, very wrong. This is not Godzilla and let, 98. And let me unpack what I'm and let me unpack what I meant by that. I think I was looking at it through the lens of reboot fatigue and Marvel fatigue. Because I viewed it as, oh, it's Power Rangers in name only. All they did was make a Marvel movie, but call it Power Rangers. And that was my perspective of this movie for a very long time until I watched the doc, the making of documentary, and it all made a whole hell of a lot more sense. 
and it actually showed me as a like a fan who did spoiler i'm 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 a lot warmer to the i actually like the film now i this is actually going to be one of those rewatchable things for me now um so does this nullify the kaiju weekly episode (laughs) yeah it'll nullify the kaiju weekly episode anyway so um so after watching that documentary, I actually saw that the people working on this movie actually cared about the material that they were making it for, or they were, they, were, they, they cared about the fan base they were making it for, which makes it heartwarming. And it gave me all the, like the warm fuzzies made me tear up a little bit at, at some points, really? uh, but it also, yes, Nathan, I do have feelings. Um, and <laughs> it, and, um, but it, but it also is is really tragic, if yes. you think. Ah, uh-huh. yes. Yeah, because the fan base and uh, largely uh, they threw this movie away. I I just kept picturing it's like it's like you go to all the effort to make the perfect perfect gift for somebody, and then you wrap it all up, and it looks all nice and everything, and then you give it to the recipient and they just swat it out of your hand and say, this is the most insulting thing I've ever seen. How dare you? Well, we're also in an age where, where, you know, the nostalgia sells. Now we have, we've found a way to capitalize on nostalgia. And for me, and I, I I know you love nostalgia, Michael, but I, I find it dangerous. I I find it dangerous. We talked about Uh, this in the Megaforce episode. And okay, and uh, which I'll be honest, that's the only episode I haven't finished yet, just because it's so long. But <laughs> <laughs> they're all long. How long have you been listening? <laughs> but uh, I, it's dangerous because I feel like it keeps me back somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it keeps me from growing. It keeps me stagnating. Uh, and and. This movie, while it had some fan service here and there, it really did. Uh, it, it's not; mm. it, they aren't, you know, pieces. They're not; they're not Easter eggs where that stopped the movie, right? Um, like you know, when uh, Jason's dad says, "I'm uh, I'm at the uh, uh, I'm driving along Mariner, Mariner Bay, Bay and Ocean and, Bluff, uh, or no yeah, Reefside, uh, Reefside. It was Reefside, Reefside, Reefside. and that Dino Thunder and Lightspeed and Rescue. Lightspeed Rescue mm-hmm. and yeah. it took a few times for me to realize wait a minute (laughs) i mean that was the one where it's like you got you really got to know your rangers because that goes beyond mighty morphin well beyond it and it it was it was so nice though because it didn't stop the movie in fact uh, it, it i didn't catch it until you know many viewings later which i liked i liked that that was that's that's an okay easter egg for me um, these Marvel movies that are, you know, bringing back old actors, you know, using the 1990s animated X-Men theme when Patrick Stewart shows up or something like that. I, I, I hate it now. I can't stand it. Stop. Um, you know, Jurassic World had a really hard time justifying its cast. Uh, I, I, I feel that we are in an era where we are cynically using nostalgia to rope right. us in to because it feels familiar. Mm-hmm. Now, familiar yeah. doesn't mean better; it just means comfortable. Mm-hmm. And what this Power Rangers movie did is, I think, and we'll we'll get into this later, but it it gives us uh, a lot of truth telling. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't rely on the nostalgia. It doesn't lie on the familiarity and the comfort. It it gives us a lot of other truths that I wouldn't expect to find in a movie titled Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we'll and, get into that. Yeah, we'll 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 get in that later. But it was it was a really a breath of fresh air that this movie, and you know, it took big swings, big risks to to not do that. Which is again why I think it's tragic that it that it flopped it failed and mm-hmm. I, which we'll get into i i have some thoughts on that but just to do some more quick background on this for everybody in case anyone doesn't know this they worked on this for a really long time it was announced by saban and Lionsgate because of saban this was during the neo saban era and Lionsgate was the primary distributor at this point uh, in May of 2014, so they spent three years working on this thing, and it was announced as a reboot of MMPR. Originally, Robert Orsi, I hope I said that right, was set to produce, but he left to go work on Star Trek Beyond. Say what you want about that. <laughs> I mean, uh, I would have preferred, uh, like, I was excited when uh, Ashley Edward Miller and Zach Stentz were announced on board yeah I, I yeah the, the script was yeah the original screenwriters were ashley miller and zach stentz and but their for, their script was rejected then they got a second script from max landis and it was rejected because the studio wanted something grittier mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. their the director ended up being dean israelite who was a relative newcomer in fact i looked up his filmography he's only ever directed one other movie i guess the <laughs> losing the studio a, a pile of money on this basically killed his directing career unfortunately but he told ign that he, the film would be quote completely playful and it needs to be really fun and funny like project almanac that's his other movie it's going to feel very grounded at the same time and very contemporary and have a real edge to it and a real gut to it. It's going to be a fun, joyful movie, but one that feels completely grounded in the real world with real characters going through real things, end quote. You know, I don't don't know if I I would say, I don't know if I would call it joyful. Um, Joyful, I I, I think that, um, because there are, because there are real, there's a lot of somber moments in this movie. Well, yeah, I would call but it there's, some, there's some joyful but ones the, too. But they're joyful moments, like those those triumphant moments. They do grab you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think I don't know if it's like I don't think joyful is the right word, and I'm in the and I'm failing to find a word that's better than joyful. But, but I don't know if I would call it joyful. Mm. Jack maybe has a better word. I don't know. Well, it it depends on what we derive joy from, right? I think in terms of joyfulness, there there mm. is a joy to watching these characters become friends mm. and and literally fall in love with each other. Mm-hmm. I, I do get a joy out of that character growth, out of watching that character growth. So maybe. Um, but I, I would be I'm not gonna say there isn't a better word to describe that. Right. Um, yeah. Right. But speaking of screenplays, the screenwriter is is John Gattins, and he was not he's Oscar nominated actually. He he was nominated for best original screenplay in 2012 for Flight, and he co-wrote Coach Carter, Real Steel, and he has story credit on Kong Skull Island. 
All good movies. <laughs> well, and I think that's hilarious because this movie opened, I think, a week after Skull Island. So the man was literally competing against himself. Uh, two weeks. <laughs> two uh, weeks. Up, okay. I remember that, that month was weeks, yeah. stuffed. It was stuffed. I remember that very well, too. But yeah. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, so I wanna, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I want to park here and I want to ask Jack a question mm-hmm. before I, I'm afraid I'll forget it. It's why. Um, do you think that, do you think the reason why they chose this month, given all of its competition is because they thought that the name recognition could carry it? I don't know. I I've, I've wondered about that myself. Uh, there's release dates are so fickle when it comes to studios mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. the last two only, years have been a nightmare. Oh yeah, uh, it, it, it and even before COVID, it wasn't just about you know do we put it somewhere where there's a lot of competition or not. It also had to do with you know they they promised theaters a movie during specific quarters of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it could have just been that, like they maybe they were just pigeonholed in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, maybe. Maybe Mm -hmm. I I just assume I thought maybe, and this is just me kind of reading tea leaves here. I don't have any concrete evidence to this, but I thought maybe that they, they thought that the name recognition Saban's power Rangers power or just power Rangers in general could have carried it to make more money than it did. Like they were like to try to tap into the nostalgia, like the 30 year old kids that would have went the, the 30 year old kids that would have taken their kids to watch this movie. I think that's exactly what they were banking on because Transformers pulled that off in 2007. Yeah. And then but, spawned a, a movie franchise and it was in a is, similar position as Power Rangers. The problem is people were banking on that exact same thing with Beauty and the Beast. And yeah, that. yeah. I mean, I, when I looked at uh, when I looked at this, and I remember that this month being stacked because I was I, I was going to the theater about every week, and th- just to let you know, this was the same month that we saw Logan, another superhero movie. This one mm-hmm. with a lot, you know, but with a beloved actor and a beloved character. It's Marvel, X Men, Kong Skull Island. So again, it's kind of adjacent, you know, with you know Tokusatsu, Kaiju stuff like that. Beauty and the Beast, Kong which is always Kong always sells here in the U.S. Yeah. yeah. Kong and then always does well here. Yeah. And then you have Beauty and the Beast, which is Disney and Disney just sucks the air out of every room. And then the week after Power Rangers opened was Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson, which maybe, you know, it, it's it's an anime adaptation. So, again, kind of adjacent. So. Well, there was a lot of stuff going on. And by the way, it was this movie was released March 24th, 2017. Yeah. And honestly, after Beauty and the Beast, I just don't think there was any money left. You know, Probably. I, there was a lot of people who just saw three movies, uh, uh, three, three weekends in a row, including me. And mm-hmm. I, they just didn't, you know, they just didn't want to go for a fourth. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there right was the you know the lukewarm critical reception, right, the backlash right. from the from the fan base, which hot take I think is unfounded. We'll get into that. So there was a lot of factors that went against it. But and just one more quick note: the the film was filmed in Vancouver in 2016 for 65 days, which is really fast. Mm-hmm. So going back mm-hmm. to the release in box office, it managed to gross. This is worldwide, okay? World freaking wide this is not just in the united states and if for the united states alone this is bad 142.5 million dollars against a 105 million dollar budget 
which means when you factor in everything else like advertising costs and all of that, it lost $74 million. However, this is the weirdest part. Ranger Wiki claims that the toy sales in the UK did well enough because the toys everywhere else apparently didn't do very well, but it made enough. The toys made enough money in the UK to kind of offset the, this loss at the theater to at least prompt discussions of, Hmm. of a possible sequel because Dean Israelite wanted to make a sequel. He even went so far as to say, I want Lord Zed to be in the sequel, but and there was talk about it, but then after Hasbro brought the franchise, that basically went away and they started talking about doing a reboot, which is the current plan at the moment, which disappoints me because Michael and I, uh, the last couple of nights, have been talking about what could a sequels to this have actually looked like, and we came up with some really fun ideas. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the the whole throughout the whole movie, I was paying it when I was watching it. I noticed that there was a lot of language like they were. There was a lot of sequel baity language. Um, one line it came towards the end of the film with Rita, where she says that oh, what's I can't remember the exact line. Basically that says, other people uh, will come to the Zeo Crystal. crystal. Yeah. I came for the crystal and, and other people will come to yeah. like that. Like that's that's a hard sequel bait right there. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now the movie is self-contained. It's it's not like, you know, the the mo- uh, the mummy that tried to launch the dark the infamous dark universe where it was so preoccupied with setting up other things that it couldn't be its own story. This is yeah. very much its own story. It has a satisfying yeah. conclusion, but it's still disappointing because you're looking at thinking there could have been so, there was so much potential here and we'll probably never see it. Well, and you know, I I mentioned this in my episode, uh, the Drift Space episode, where we cover this film, which, by the way, is probably one of our better episodes. I do oh, it is. Check it out. But uh, I will say it is. I, I went. And li- I listened to it this week. It is one of your better episodes. And I mentioned this. I you know when we have just a single movie like this that could have launched its own series, didn't, but is you know there's a lot going on in it that we kind of hold dear. Uh, I, I it's almost like I hold on to it tighter, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's like there's I I find it almost more special because it is just a singular entity that mm-hmm. uh, exists in its own kind of vacuum, mm-hmm. and and I can enjoy the nuance of it more mm-hmm. than right. if it had like uh, five sequels. It, it's the Firefly effect, essentially. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, because the closest thing to a sequel, well, the only real sequel, I should say, that we get to this is Boom published a comic book that took place right after this. It's called Aftershock, and it's about the Rangers mopping things up with Angel Grove. After which we're both movie. yet to we're we're both yet to read those. So. Yeah, unfortunately, the physical copies are incredibly hard to come by. I didn't know this yeah. existed. Honestly. Didn't. No, oh, I didn't. Okay. Know yeah, there's. So I'm yeah, gonna have to jump yeah, on that. Yeah, well, like uh, I said, unfortunately, the physical copies are incredibly hard to come by, but you can get it on Comixology relatively cheap. Oh, I'll find a physical copy. Uh, Have fun forking (laughs) over at least 50 bucks. (laughs) Well, there there are physical copies on eBay. I did look. Uh, There are, like, you can buy them from alternate sellers on Amazon, but like Nathan said, they want at least a minimum of 50 for it, which... 
you know, 50, 50 bucks is a lot of money for, for a lot of people. I get that. But 50 bucks is about the going rate anymore of a special comic or special edition. It, comic this, like that. the retail for this was a lot, was at least yeah. half. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's like 20 bucks. Yeah. I would guesstimate it's like 15, 20 bucks. Yeah. Cause I, it's a hard, I think if I remember it correctly, it's a hardcover book. I'll find it. <laughs> of course you will. <laughs> anyway, of course you will. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get into the movie itself. Now we're tweaking our format a little bit here. This is normally when we would talk about the theme song, but mm -hmm. this is a little different because there is a cover of Go Go Power Rangers here, but it's not until the end credits and it's not necessarily a very long cover. So because I know, Jack, that you love the score in this mm -hmm. film, I decided let's just talk about the score to the movie because I feel like because the theme of Go Go Power Rangers kind of seeps its way into the rest of the movie. And Michael, speaking of themes, remember? <laughs> <laughs> I owned you. <laughs> You're never living that down, know. Michael. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what you're. I, I, don't, know you. what you're, I don't know what you're talking about. Move on. <laughs> that 1995 theme. Hmm. <laughs> we talked about the 95 movie. I don't know what you're talking that about. Some, Move on. That was some of the callbacks. Some very obvious callbacks. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people ask why didn't they go for the uh, the TV show version, the Ron Wasserman version, and a lot of people speculate it's due to some rights issues, which is weird. But uh, from what I understand, it was because the 1995 theme was actually mastered for uh, like surround sound and right and, and, and cinema, and yeah. yeah, and cinema. Yeah. Honestly, I I just think good. I just think that version just sounds cinematic. So I think it was more befitting. Probably, yeah. But initially, okay. So that scene where all the dinosaurs are running side by side with each other the the scene that looks like you know almost exactly like the shot from the original Power Rangers series where the dinosaurs are like running next to each other. Which apparently was a happy accident, according to Dean Israel. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> it, but it it looks straight out of the show um it is that's where brian tyler's instrumental go go power rangers was supposed to be mm -hmm. and and we we hear that segment on the the uh soundtrack. Released soundtrack yeah yeah where where his you know instrumental go go power rangers was supposed to be implemented and it was kind of late in the game where they decided well let's try it let's see what it looks like what it sounds like if we throw in the original theme into this part and they did it and everyone liked it. And they're like, you know what? We got to do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we got to do this. So, so that was what they, uh, they stuck with. Um, not that I, I think it was a bad decision, but sometimes I, I wish I, someone would put together an edit where I could see Brian Tyler's uh, rendition to that footage because I kind of, I, I wish I just had a comparison because I really, mm -hmm. really like what Brian Tyler did with, uh, the theme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing that's interesting about his soundtrack for this, and if you just listen to the album, you don't quite get this because there's some tracks, some of the pop music that gets into this it, that is not on the soundtrack, but much like our team, <laughs> this is very eclectic. 
it's got orchestra, but it's also got techno. There are points that really reminds me of Daft Punk's Tron. soundtrack for Tron Legacy. Yep. And it also sneaks in some metal. And like I said, some modern pop music in there because you have to. Because you right. want, if you're going to have teenage superheroes like this, you want to put, and you want to, you know, keep that youthful energy. You got to put in something that's very current in order to communicate that youthful energy. And I think it succeeded in doing that. Yeah. Well, the soundtrack, the whole, the whole score, it's, I listened to the soundtrack the other day and the whole soundtrack sounds unified. Mm-hmm. So I was telling you the, as I was telling you the other day, uh, Nathan, when we were kind of getting our notes and things together, um, I was amazed of how unified the score sounds and it's all tied together in some way, shape or form with those six little notes from that, the Ranger theme notes, it's, it's all tied together because you find those, those those six notes, uh, throughout each in each piece of music and it ties everything together. So everything, the, the score itself feels really unified. The Mm -hmm. main theme, the, the, that one. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And that's, Brian Tyler is one of my favorite composers. He's, he's, he said a long, long time ago that whenever he composes a movie, he, he composes it as if it's the best movie ever made. <laughs> now he's had a lot of stinkers to compose, so that takes a lot. <laughs> but he he um he has always impressed me with his themes. And what what impresses me the most with his themes is that he he'll actually use them. And I hate it when composers will come up with a really good theme, but you'll only hear it maybe like two or three times in the movie. Right. And I'm sitting here going, you 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 crafted this wonderful motif use it what's wrong with you Mm. brian tyler i never really have that that issue with he he normally takes a theme and some could argue he rams it into the ground but here it was so fitting of the characters to have that theme. like you you even hear it during the campfire scene uh you hear it once the megazord is formed um Mm. You know, it 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 embodies the more dramatic moments of the film rather than sounding like a big grand superhero theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, he's really scoring the drama of this movie mm-hmm. rather than well, they talked about the action. They talked about in the in the making of documentary how they almost went with each character having their own theme, mm-hmm. and that was that was uh, that was a possibility until. Until they until they came up with the idea of having no of having one central theme that they play at very key moments during the movie. Mm -hmm. And what I was saying about the score earlier is some version of those six notes shows up in every single piece of music to help unify the score. Mm -hmm. Well, and unify the characters, Mm -hmm. I think. I unify the characters. Yeah, because this is this is a team movie. Well, it's also like I feel like. giving a theme to each character wouldn't work not just for the sake of time but mm. because the whole point is all of them coming together as one anyway you know, mm-hmm. i remember mm-hmm. the original poster said you know to together we are more mm-hmm. and the whole point of the film is to unify them kind of under this umbrella and that yeah. theme is the umbrella mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. so it, it, it makes more sense to just have one theme that underscores them all mm-hmm. And but like I said, you get to hear Brian Tyler's rendition of the theme in the end credits. If you get the Blu-ray, it's the menu music, which is really fun. And as you have to, 
because they did it in the 95 movie. There is a there is a pop music cover of the power. Yeah. <laughs> Which was intentional. <laughs> not my favorite track in the soundtrack, but sure. <laughs> I mean, not mine either, but it's fine. Like I listened to the whole thing, even that one. I appreciated the fact that it was included, you know, as a, yeah, a little, it's, a, it's as a, a nice nostalgic nod and because, you know, it kind of just lends itself to that. Yeah. Any more thoughts on the score? I kind of wish that instead of going into we've got the power, they had stuck with the song uh, that was playing when they all went back to detention together. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because for some yeah, reason, yeah, yeah. and I, I, I can't, the song, I can't think of the title off the top of my head, but for some reason, it, it really pulled together, like tied together uh, the ending amongst these five nicely. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it was a really good moment. It just it fit the scene. I'm trying to see if I wrote that down in any of my notes because I scoured every single bit of that Blu-ray for its special features. I'm not seeing it anywhere. And I'll be to be truthfully honest, I don't I don't usually appreciate actual songs in movies. I think they're very distracting, but uh, I I like that. Yeah, Um, they can be in a lot of cases. There's a few movies where I, I, I really think it works. Although, although, uh, the use of Kanye's power when they get the, when they find, when we get into the first Zord fight, that was pretty, pretty good. I will say that that was pretty good. I, I don't feel one way or another about it. it whatever. Kanye. Hi. Oh, I know he, <laughs> he goes by yay now. Okay. Oh, it's yay. I forgot. It's yay. Yeah. I'm going to say nay. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm amazed yeah, there hasn't can, been can, more of those yet. We can uh, we can move into our actual characters now. Yeah. If everyone's good on the score. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as usual, we'll start with our Red Ranger, Jason Scott, played by Ultraman Dacre Montgomery. I had to. I know. I'm leaving. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's 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 fine. It's not the worst pun I've ever heard you make. It won't be. And it probably won't ever be the worst uh, one I've ever heard. <laughs> it's just terrible. So, so I mean, okay. So these characters definitely fit. Just talk, just talking about them in, in unison, just for a hot minute. These characters definitely fit within the established archetypes of their predecessors, with the exception of, I would say, two, and that was the girls, the Trini and. Kimberly. Um, Kimberly kind of does in a lot of ways because she's the cheerleader. She's the popular one. Um, but I would say Trini is the most reimagined character for what, of what we remember of the original cast. She is and she isn't, but we'll get there anyway. Right. So Jason Scott, Jason Scott. Yeah. Which by the way, I completely forgot that Dacre Montgomery was on stranger things, stranger things. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Minus the the pedo mustache, yeah, and the hair, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He looks more presentable here, but uh, that that's on purpose. Uh, you know, I I like to look at these uh, renditions of the characters as almost like proto forms of the characters we see in the original show. Hmm. Almost like like they're not quite there yet. They're not quite the the likable, honorable people. Right, that we we, right. we see in the show, they mm-hmm. they have the capacity to be, mm-hmm. certainly, 
but they're not there yet. Yeah, and I think that was something that I think did throw some people off because I think they found these characters kind of despicable. And I'm like, yeah, do you want the perfect, idealized, involved in everything teenagers from the show i mean i get it let's go we, start a cleanup crew guys right yeah i mean i get it we love we all like the uh, mmpr and we like those characters i mean yes. jack spent a good 10 minutes singing the praises of the of the original jason we mm -hmm. get it but they wanted to go for something different here and i know they t oh my gosh the breakfast club gets talked about a lot in the special features and i know some people are like this is just breakfast club but with power rangers and i don't want and i don't like it and here's my counter argument you know going off of my research on this power rangers has made a name for itself for th almost 30 years doing exactly that taking something right. else adapting it or doing their own spin on it you can go look up comparisons where they're like, oh, look, see the shots from Star Trek Voyager? They did it in Lost Galaxy. You see you know, this? They did it in Power Rangers, too. Yeah, oh, oh, Mystic Force is Harry Potter, okay? <laughs> so well, and, Honestly, you, you have 700-plus episodes of the other, right? So just right. Let, let this be its thing, okay? <laughs> basically, basically. So there is a very grounded kind of breakfast clubby approach to yeah. these characters and i was there for it i expected it yeah. i wouldn't have wanted the quote-unquote perfect idealized characters that we got in the show well it's not realistic it's it's not realistic to paint them as these idealized teenagers that we got in 1993 mm -hmm. yeah which worked and to, and and to be technical jack it was over 800 episodes oh, at this point. sorry sorry yes <laughs> at the point of this movie at the point of this movie, it was okay. Because I'm going to say, I think they just they're creeping up to a thousand now. But. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 over 800 because Dino Charge, Dino Charge came before this, right? Was, uh, that, that, Ninja that Steel had just started. Okay, right. yeah, uh, when this movie came out. So, you know, and I just sung the the, the praises of Jason uh, from the show, and I I like the Jason here. Uh, he's not he's not there yet, but you can see he can be. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think we see, we see a glimpse of that during the scene with Kimberly uh, at the, uh, when she sneaks uh, into his house mm -hmm. and she confesses what she's done. And he, he has this sentence and it was a, a line that Jr. loves and I love it too. He, he tells her, you know, being a gentle person, you made a terrible mistake that doesn't make you a terrible person. You be who you want to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Basically encouraging someone, basically you, you got to live with it. You're going to have to live with it, but that doesn't mean it can, it has to define mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. and, and I, th one of the things I love about this rendition is that he, his leadership comes through. You're shown the leadership and not told it so much. We find out yes. very subtly that he, Play, he's the quarterback for the football team mm -hmm. and he was known for not really relying on his team. He would run the football and make the big plays and score the touchdowns himself. And I, that definitely shows that that experience as the high school quarterback is factoring into how he conducts himself with the rest of these kids and why he is the natural le team leader. Well, and it's, you know, it, it comes into question 
you know, how good of a leader can he be? You know, he made a, a really dumb decision. He made a very teenager decision uh, about, you mm-hmm. know, throwing a cow into a uh, rival school's <laughs> locker room. Uh, yeah, yeah, that scene, which admittedly, when I first watched the movie, it's like, I, please tell me that the rest of it is not going to be like this because I that's not going to work. But thankfully, it wasn't. <laughs> No, and it wasn't. It wasn't. But it does. Qu- it, it puts into question how good his decisions are, right yeah. off the bat. Right. Well, the uh, the and he's commentary. Grow from that. Yeah, the commentary from the director and the writer. They said that the way that they see teenagers is that they're they're good people who make really bad decisions because they're young, inexperienced, and hormonal, basically. Yeah. <laughs> wrong it's not wrong and, and again i think that ties into the like we see the capacity there right mm-hmm. i mean he's he is a quarterback but he doesn't you know he he doesn't know how to delegate he makes bad decisions and he continues to make bad decisions through the through the series i mean through the movie he uh he told the rest of the rangers when they couldn't even morph let's just go kill rita ourselves mm-hmm. and what happened billy got killed mm-hmm you know, it, it, there's a lot of trial and error in this, and he he doesn't really see just how bad it can get until he loses someone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, from there he gets a second chance and he rectifies his mistake. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the things that I do think well, that was one of the frequent complaints that I saw from Ranger fans because they got very impatient with this movie. They did not appreciate that it took until right at the 90 minute mark in a two hour movie that they actually morph. Now we saw Billy morph for a hot second around the one hour mark, mm-hmm. but that right. wasn't theme. enough, but that wasn't enough. But it was, a, but it, well, it was, it, it played into the thematics of the movie. Yeah. Too. I mean, it's it, like, it was an important part of the movie because of its thematics yeah. because Bill, because we'll get to Billy in a minute when we talk, when we talk about it, but right. I'm just saying that I, I, I feel like the, the criticism of the pacing while I can understand, I don't, I don't agree with it because when I watched it again this time, knowing that yeah, it's going to take a while, I was so invested with these characters on their journey, and I'm looking as I, you know, I, I I've taken classes on screenwriting. I know you know what moments you know or things are supposed to happen in a film, and they're hitting all those beats. And then when it felt incredibly earned when they did get those suits, and then for the next twenty minutes, it's just balls to the wall of the show. <laughs> You know, yeah. after that, it was worth it, it for me, because when I saw them and, you know, say what you want about the aesthetics of this movie. But when I saw them in that group shot, you know, their Avenger shot walking down the hall in those costumes, the music is playing. I'm like, I am here for this. <laughs> Go kick Rita's big green keister, please. <laughs> well, it felt earned. Yeah, at that point, it felt earned. And I think, you know, I I have a problem with the design language in this movie, and I can understand people's complaints that, you know, maybe there wasn't enough action, whatever. My thing is that I mean, it's the Ranger tradition with movies, right? Right. (laughs) They're not in costume. They're not in costume for a whole lot of it. That's true. That is true. <laughs> the 95 movie did that. Heck, Turbo. E- Turbo even did that. And that's the least of its problems. But <laughs> I think I think that when it came to the action, a lot of people said, well, it's not very spectacular action. Well, the designs aren't very good. Well, there's not enough of it. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm so invested emotionally uh, and dramatically in these characters' lives that it doesn't 
matter. Right. It's like it, Disney it, Brain it, said, Rangers are people first. And they're, they, yeah, they are definitely people in this movie. And they are definitely people who I I care about and was invested enough in that, you know, the, the fight could have lasted 60 seconds. And I still have been pleased with it just because it was, it was, I was so into what they, who they were and how they grew and what right. they represented. Right. It's that's why I mean, you'll hear me talk, uh, unpack this more when you get to the Megaforce episode. That was why I took such issue with the, for lack of a better way to put it, suit porn that's in Megaforce because I'm like, okay, you're showing us the costumes, but it's not the characters. The reason we love these costumes is because we love the people who wore the costumes. This is a set of new characters who are just stealing the better characters' clothes at this point and wearing them. Mm-hmm. And th- so the fact that I am willing to forgive the whatever aesthetic mistakes that the you, we, you could argue the, the movie makes, I'm so invested in these characters, I don't care. <laughs> well, and I, I made the same argument for RPM. I do not like the RPM Zords. I'm not a big fan of the suits either. Uh, like this movie, I prefer the suits over the Zords, but uh, RPM is, you know, the aesthetic is not why I watch RPM. Mm-hmm. I'll be real. It, 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 there, there's so many stronger elements to RPM that ha- have nothing to do with the design language. Mm-hmm. Although the... We we talk we spent four hours talking about this, but the, the fact that the, <laughs> the aesthetics in RPM are done purposefully, there's a reason behind it. They made it work. It's so incredibly. No, they weird. made it work. They yeah. made it work. I mean, they kind of come off as excuses sometimes, but they did make it work. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, whether they made that aspect work or not, what it comes down to is that I love the characters too much to to mm-hmm. give a damn. So yeah, basically. Any more thoughts on Jason before we move on? No, but I, I, I want to, I want, we'll talk about, well, we'll, we'll, I don't know if we should talk about more of the aesthetics now or, well, we'll sprinkle them throughout this conversation. Let's move on to Zach. Yeah. Okay. So first thing, so Zach Taylor played by Ludi Lynn. I have to address the Mastodon in the room. How do you guys feel about the, the, I guess it, the it race swapping for, Zach and Billy. That doesn't bother me. I mean, it, I, I, that doesn't bother me, honestly. I mean, we, um, the care, the, the character, the, uh, the characters are still there. Like this Zach is just, is just as, um, I don't know. I, I struggle with it a little bit because now that I'm thinking about it, almost Billy is also a little bit of, MMPR Zach too, because he's kind of like the life of the party. Um, or he's a lot more jovial. Um, yeah, but you know, we'll, we'll unpack that when we get to Billy. It's, I just, my issue is that it's once again, it's playing into the, as far as I care, controversy about having a black man be the black Ranger that even the creators and Walter Jones didn't even think of that until 10 or 12 episodes in. And you know, keep, keep in mind, this is a year before Black Panther. I think you could do this now and no one would care. I still don't think it's racist. There's plenty of black superheroes who wore black or had black in their name. And I don't think people are bothered by it. Yeah, whatever Hasbro has in store for the reboot movie or special or whatever it's got going on. If 
we live in a post Black Panther world now. Like having a black having a black man as a black ranger, or even a black woman as a black ranger, it, it's not a big deal anymore. I mean, it's it's it may have been a little bit sensitive a few years ago, but it's not. It's like we're post Black Panther now. I don't think it matters. Any thought? But in con. But in context of this movie, to answer your first question, I don't care either way. Well, I, well, there is a joke about it. I'll give them credit. They at least kind of acknowledge it with a little bit of a joke. They acknowledge it, yeah. Yeah, when they're bad. in the water and they see their ranger colors in the pool because of the energy. And and Zach, who's Asian, says, I'm black. Billy, no, <laughs> you're not. Uh, yeah, Billy's and and like, was- no, you're not. <laughs> Uh, that was ad-libbed by yes, it was. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> RJ, RJ Kyler ad-libbed a lot, actually. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. and so did Elizabeth Banks, but we'll get to that anyway. So I also know that the thing that makes this rendition of Zach interesting is his mom. Yeah. Well, and it's also because and I saw a video that talked about this. They, they they said this is something that you don't really see in media, which is the poor Asian. Because Zach lives in a trailer park. Mm-hmm. And because unfortunately, the stereotype is that if you're Asian, you're incredibly smart and you're well off. You're incredibly well right. off. Whereas if yeah. you look at actual statistics, according to the video I looked at, the poor Asian demographic has increased 38%. I don't remember the time frame for the increase, but it's increased 38% at the time of that video. And it's second only to Hispanics. So it's a demographic that is growing and no one talks about it. Mm. So yeah. we're getting that represented here. And I do find that interesting. Now, I'm mm. not saying that you that you know a movie or whatever is going to save the world and really increase people's awareness of social issues like that. But it's still good that we're seeing it. So it's in yeah. the public consciousness. It breaks the uh, it breaks the stereotype for sure. Right, and Zach in this he's he's pretty outgoing. He he's the other alpha male in the room. He butts heads sometimes literally with Jason. They, there's a little bit of a you know kind of a I, maybe it's not outrightly stated, but I do think there's a little bit of a competition there to see who can be top dog. A little alpha male kind of uh, bickering going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a point where it, they flat out get into a fist fight because they just get annoyed. Yeah, it's a, with each I mean, other it, so it was much. a it was a pissing it was a pissing contest for a good part of the for the for a good part of the movie between Jason mm-hmm. and Zach. Mm-hmm. I also found it interesting that Zach seemed to have uh, maybe not an infatuation, but a sort of interest or an attraction to Trini. Mm-hmm. In this. <laughs> he flirted yeah, with he, her a little. Flirted with her a little. Yeah. He, he would always see her, you know, he, he could always time when she was coming to the quarry, right? Mm-hmm. Which I love the fact that there's a quarry in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but Yes. <laughs> But the majority, a lot of the scenes take quite, take place in a quarry. Good, well done, show. Or well done. I bet, it's well a gold done, well mine. Done show. <laughs> well done, well done, movie. Well done. But but you know, like she she lands on him when they fall from the uh, the water, and he goes hello uh, and stuff like that. But it, that line, I think, was if you watch the behind the scenes, that line is actually different than what the original line was scripted. Oh, what was um, it? 
the original line was, oh, you want to be on top this time or yeah. something like that. Uh -oh. um, <laughs> so it was it was a more overt sex joke where in the, what, what made it what actually made it into the movie was a little bit more subtle, was a little bit. I actually prefer the subtle of it. So it's more like, oh, I didn't expect yeah. this. Oh. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like the salty, too, because you can kind of infer like the interaction instead of just, you know, make it too obvious. And right. I also like the fact that he was the one he he's kind of intuitive enough with her he was the one who picked out you know when when trini's opening up she says yeah girlfriend problems and he he goes wait or no, oh, no, 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 boyfriend no he said problems. boyfriend problems uh, boyfriend, boy, yeah it's i'm boyfriend sorry, sorry boyfriend problems she it goes, starts yeah, out with boyfriend, boyfriend problems problem. yeah and then she, he replies wait girlfriend problems um, and, and there's no, you know, the movie makes no uh, suggestion that, you know, he's being friend zoned here or like he has no chance or right. whatnot. But I do like that he picked up on that enough. Mm -hmm. And then later on, when the Zords are being pushed into he's... the Zeo uh, pit, uh, it's Trini who reaches out and says, Zach, stay with me. Zach, stay with me. Because that mm -hmm. connection, you know, even though there was, you know, romance, romance was probably out the window at that point. Uh, there was still a connection between the two. Mm -hmm. Right when initially right. there wasn't much right he zach has uh there, here's the word i was I, i've been searching for zach has has a good like intuition and i think that scene you just talked about the the campfire scene uh jack shows that zach that or did i just call you jack or zach i don't know who it's cares all, i think you <laughs> did call him zach nice job did i call you zach my bad well jack i think the the campfire scene showed that zach had good like like a sense of things like a good intuition mm -hmm. because like there was no like there was no indication of that of the direction of that how that conversation was going but zach used his i don't know his his spidey sense i guess for lack of a better <laughs> word to to kind of to kind of read between the lines and be a little bit more a little bit more empathetic and that and that's that's a good skill set to have mm -hmm. and that gives depth to this character that he's able to uh, he's able to empathize and have a good intuition about people, mm -hmm. which is why he says, I think you people are good for me. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> what do you mean? You people, but sure. anyway, it, it, it's yeah. yeah. Billy. Uh, oh yeah. I was just saying, <laughs> are we going on the Billy <laughs> played by RJ Kyler. Uh, who in this is uh, who in this is uh, is African American? He's our Blue Ranger, and R.J. Kyler is the biggest Power Ranger fanboy probably in the whole cast. Oh, he's the heart and soul of this movie. He is, he's yeah. The, and and soul it, even people who don't like this movie love him because he's yeah. a he's a major first in this. There's two major firsts in this, both for Power Rangers and for superhero films in general. Mm. Billy's right. on the spectrum, which inspired a little bit of a joke that I thought was funny. But I have a brother who, a younger brother who's on the spectrum. Now, they don't come out and say exactly what he has. I think we can infer it's supposed to be Asperger's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and in a way, it's a little, you could make the argument it's a little bit of a stereotype because he's still the, the nerd. But yeah. I think it's a very interesting update of it because we've never seen anything like this before well it, it's it explains why and nathan i i don't have like you like you said you just have a you have a younger brother who's on the spectrum 
like typically people, folks who are, folks who are on the spectrum tend to be like really hyper-focused and really freaking intelligent, like really, like really, really intelligent. And I think yeah. that adding that type of, that type of layer to his character, I, I think layer is a good word to explain a lot of what's going on in this movie, but there, cause there's layers to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but adding that particular like layer to his, to Billy's character, honestly, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it because that, not, it not, it not only explained, it not only explained a lot of things, it all, it made him a little bit more endearing and it, it, um, and it, it was just important because of, you know, you know, representing that type of character in, in a superhero show or in a, uh, or in a superhero right. movie and, and, and especially in the Ranger franchise. Right. And, I, and it's a very respectful portrayal of Oh yeah. It's autism. very tasteful. It's very oh, yeah, tasteful. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it's never, I mean, like I said, there's a little bit of a joke about it, but he's, it's never at his expense. And even the things that are kind of played for laughs, like how he doesn't understand certain things, that's not done at his expense. It's more just, this is the awkwardness that can be created by someone with this condition. Right. So, which may, which I do, which was very pleasing to me. And it's never, the other thing I really like about this, and this is true of all of them, because this is an incredibly diverse cast. Power Rangers has always had diversity baked into it. Haim Saban, who was a producer on this film, said from the beginning, I want to have a diverse cast on this team because that's what America is. Given that Haim Saban is an Israeli immigrant, that would be something that he would be a little bit more conscientious of. And what's interesting about this is that everybody, four of the five members of this team are, I I don't think minority is necessarily the most accurate way to put it for all of them but we only have one quote unquote straight white male in this. And that's Jason. Everybody else mm-hmm. is some sort of a minority. Zach is Asian. Right. Billy is black and he's on the spectrum. Trini is Hispanic and, uh, and a woman. And uh, Kimberly is a woman. So mm-hmm. you know, it's just Who is also of Middle Eastern descent. Oh, is she? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I thought uh, she yeah. sounded when you hear Naomi Scott speak, she's, she sounds British. She's Brit. She's Brit. She sounds British, but she's, Oh God! What is her nationality? I forget her nationality, uh, Jack. It, uh, um, uh, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> but regardless, uh, regardless, it's never the only thing about Billy. There, it's just mm-hmm. a piece of who Billy is, and the fact that he's on the spectrum does make Billy who he is because he's the he's probably the only one of these five kids who's anywhere close to being the ideal. He's the only one who doesn't have, we, I mean, we don't, well, no, they did mention why he's in detention, but he's in detention because he did something silly and made a mistake. He wasn't doing anything malicious. He, he, he set was, off an explosive. He set off an explosive <laughs> because he was doing a science experiment <laughs> and it blew um, something up. And that's why he's in detention. It's not because right. he was doing any, like I said, he was doing anything malicious. So he's right. there by accident, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this movie, this movie does, this movie does a really good job with, with Billy making Billy like the focal point as to like the, he's the, um, it, it, they don't necessarily come out and say this, but essentially I, I viewed Billy as sort of the key to unlocking their powers because Billy, we've already talked about was the first one to morph. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but he was, he was the first one to morph in a very specific situation. And I don't know. And, and what was interesting to, what was interesting to me about that was we, the audience picked up on it, but I love how they wrote it that the, that the rest of the team just still never picked up on it. Like it took them, it took them a while to really pick up on the fact that you have to love each other. Yes. To finally, to, you have to be unified in love and unified in, a, in, in, in appreciation for one another to finally tap into the morphing grid. Right. Right. Because right, yeah. there were two people, two people he cared about who were fighting and he, yes. his act of love was yeah. to break it up, to stop it. it, it he, let's not get is. too far into the thematic discussion. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, yeah. I think it's part of his character, though. Yeah, was like, it, he's, is. He, he was the first one to really because, you know, I find it interesting that the person who had. Uh, has the hardest time making a connection with people being on the spectrum is uh, maybe, maybe not the character most in search of it, but I think the further on the spectrum someone is, the more some of us can take for granted uh, their desire for a status quo relationship with other people. Oh yeah. Trust me that that, having a brother on the spectrum is that's something that I've, I've learned about it. My brother has actually worked very hard to you know, curtail some of those autistic tendencies so that it would make it easier for him to connect with people. Right. And, and I've, I've worked with a lot of kids uh, who have autism as well. And it's, it's very difficult to make a connection with them, especially when you're mm-hmm. working with multiple at the same time. Uh, and, and, you know, Billy was the first one who was really all in with these characters, right? Uh, kind of, kind of the most innocent of the five, and he was just grateful to have an opportunity to connect with this Breakfast Club. And I think, you know, the only the last connection he had was with his late father. Mm-hmm. You know, they would go to the uh, they'd go to the quarry and you know do what he was doing there, and uh, he doesn't have that connection anymore. And so mm-hmm. now he's now he's fighting, you know, his uh, natural chemical inability to make these connections uh, mm-hmm. while also having the one person who he did connect with absent in his life. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's and interesting is there's a, a line that Kyler actually improvised, which is after he gets the, the bracelet, the, what are the, I forget what the technical term is for this, but you know, he gets the ankle bracelet off of Jason. So he, you know, he they won't be able to monitor where he is and Jason just hugs him. And then Kyler improvises. <laughs> you know, I was like, can you stop touching me now? Which then they have a callback to later because everyone starts hugging him after he comes back from the dead and he and doesn't he care embrace, anymore. Yeah. He embraces them. He, em- he, he, he embraces them, uh, which just shows you how he's, how far he's come as a character. He's resistant. He wants to connect, but he's a little bit resistant to it at the same time. But then after everything that they've been through, and you know, coming back from the dead will do that to you after you get murdered by a power space witch, Power Ranger space witch. Yeah, that's... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, the writer and director say that he didn't drown; it was the sorcery that did it. Hmm. Okay. okay, but <laughs> either way, I don't think. That yeah, yeah. You know, he just... wake. You know, he wakes up after Zordon's great sacrifice, and yeah, he doesn't care anymore. Yeah. I do want to mention really quick, just 
like because from based on the behind the scenes, the, the behind the scenes documentary that I watched, it seems as though RJ was the most excited to work on this. Oh movie. yeah, uh, he was. He was. He was probably like because, and I'm not trying to. Like, I'm not trying to downplay what the other actors and actresses were saying because they were like, yeah, I'm really happy to be working on this project. You know, the usual, the usual things that you have to say when you're working on a movie, but RJ, you could honestly tell that he was a fan of being on this movie because there was one little, there was one little thing he said. He said, I get to wake up every day knowing that I'm going to be a power ranger. And that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. I think Ludi Lin was pretty excited about it too. I think he's a Sentai fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll have a lot more to say about Billy when we get to the thematic discussion. So, so for sure. Are we on to Trini, the Yellow we Ranger? Let's, Trini Kwan, yes, apparently canonically, even though it's not said the movie, her last name is Kwan. It's a little inexplicable, which is funny because yeah. we'll get into that in a moment, but I'll play by Becky G. I find that a little odd because basically what they're doing here is that you and I talked about this on Henshin for with our backdoor pilot for power trip, Michael, the mm-hmm. unaired pilot. That's the version of Trini that they're using not to Trang in MMPR because as originally conceived, Trini was supposed to be Hispanic and I can't Hispanic, remember the yeah, actress's yeah. name in that original pilot, but she was oh, God. Hispanic. Um, I'll have to look. I'll have to look. It yeah, okay. Up, you go, go ahead, ahead and go ahead and you look that up. So she it was, she was going to be Hispanic and then they had to recast and then they found Tui Trang and Trini became our, I don't want to say the token Asian, but she became the Asian girl and you know, she got the last name of Quan. And so I, I find that kind of interesting. I'm surprised they didn't go with the last name of crystal, which is an incredibly deep cut because you know, the name Trini goes all the way back to an unused concept when they back to the mid eighties, when they were originally trying to pitch what would become power Rangers and they used Bioman, and they got as far as a completely buried pilot that, you know, people have only seen clips of where they had the name Trini crystal. I'm surprised they didn't go with that, but I don't know how much that would have registered, but it is interesting because I look it up. Trini is a Spanish name. It means Trinity. Um, the original actress's name that played Trini in the pilot uh, was a woman by the name of Audrey Dubois. That's right. She had a yeah, she had a very French sounding name. I remembered mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But so if you go by that, it's not as big a reimagining as you might think. It's just based mm-hmm. on a you know what could have been. I would say right. compared to what we actually got. But probably compared to all the rest of them, she is the most different from mm-hmm. compared to the other Rangers on this team. So not only is yes. the ethnicity different, but you know, there's another major change, another first. Yes and no. Yes and no, because the original Trini from MMPR was still pretty a, a pretty stoic character. Mm-hmm. Um, As most now, Yellow Rangers ob- are. She she obviously did not have that chip on her shoulder as the Trini in this movie does. Mm-hmm. But we find out later, we find out later on in that campfire scene that Trini is feeling like an outsider because she's, um, bisexual. Well, she's bisexual. Yeah. But I'm, I'm trying to remember there was, I was trying to remember if there was, um, another thing that she said, well, the, the whole, the whole speech is my family just doesn't understand me. My family uh, is we, so normal. 
my family is so normal. That's the line I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. My family is Mm -hmm. so normal. And if they really knew who I was, uh, I don't know if they would like me very much or something, something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she has affect us so significantly as we're growing up. And I think what we're seeing here is, you know, she, she can, all teenagers won't complain about their parents, but at the same time, it, oh, yeah. we, we also get a glimpse of how kind of crazy her mom is. Um, <laughs> that, well, I, in, in Mrs. Kwan's defense, <laughs> when you just say me and four kids from Angel Grove, uh, found a spaceship buried underground. <laughs> I'm a superhero now. Well, <laughs> any parent is going to do exactly what she did. No, 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 no. I mean, my, look, my, my mom, my parents were pretty darn strict and I have, and I was never asked to pee in a cup. Yeah, no, I exactly. get and it. I, 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 I'm just, I, I'm, made not, I'm saying it's an understandable reaction. <laughs> Again, no, no, yeah, not I guess. that much. Not that much. I, I, I don't. She I mean, was clearly yeah, I mean, being sarcastic. Did you say something that snarky to your parents? <laughs> no, 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 no. She, she was being sarcastic. I mean, she, she was telling the truth, but she knew it would be taken as sarcastically. I was taking right. it sarcastically as. I mean, but I've walked to my mom. My mom's been like, you know, hey, what were you out doing? I was like, oh, well, uh, we went drag racing. Then we uh, swirled lines <laughs> of cocaine. And, uh, you know, yes. And, and you know, I, I wasn't asked to like pee in a cup, you know, she, but. <laughs> They really emphasize how crazy her her mom was, at least. Um, yeah. And and I I think there's a point where parenting can uh, affect you mm-hmm. negatively, right. you know. It, and we're really just digging into this uh, uh, lately because of the mental health barrier these days. Um, that genetics through family and the way a person grows up definitely. Oh, yeah definitely does affect people and she she yeah. is feeling like a loner and outsider in her family and thus so she yeah. feels like a loner and outsider everywhere else mm-hmm. oh, yeah. right um and i you know a lot of people complain that like zach and trini are the two that we tend to get the least of in this movie maybe right but there's enough nuance in there that's so real well there's a and... lot of there's a lot of depth to these there's a lot of depth to the to the to the trini character mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there, you, you like when, when, uh, Mr. Israelite said that, you know, these were going to be real, this was going to be more grounded. I think we didn't expect how grounded this was going to be because this hits home for a lot of people. And I just want to mention too, like this movie is also important and this version of Trini is important because, uh, she's the first, uh, uh, Power Ranger who is also LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so and she's also her, the first, being, she's also the first superhero on screen. She's the first. That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She's yeah. the first superhero the- on screen, and yeah, yeah, she's the first Ranger to be LGBT. And I've, I honestly think it is handled very tastefully. I know some people wish they had done more with it, but I'm like, I don't think at that point, well, not all that important. It's just like acknowledge it, and that, and I, I wish it would just be treated like the rest of the team. She's like, she basically admits it a little obliquely, but she admits it. The rest of the team acknowledge it, and they move on because they have bigger things to take care of well, personally and, and otherwise it's also treated as just it, it's also treated very normally yeah you know it's also treated very normally and if you watch i remember uh them talking about this they didn't really they didn't touch on it a whole lot in the making of the commentary they did, they did. 
Oh, no, if you want me to tell you, I'll tell you what they said in the commentary. Well, uh, yeah, and just, I'll, you can just a minute. I'll finish, let me, let me finish my, I'll finish my thought first and then you can. All right. Because uh, I didn't actually get to watch the commentary. I didn't have time. Uh, I'll probably go back and watch the movie with commentary, uh, but it'll have to be after, well, obviously we're recording this now. But anyway, um, <laughs> in the, in the, in the making of documentary, they were talking about like how representation diversity is important. But they also mentioned, I can't remember, I think it was Mr. Israelite that said that he likes it when films don't beat you over the head with it. No, that was Bill Hader. I think, was it Bill Hader? It was Bill okay. Hader. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because it was, it was him. It, it kept cutting back and forth between him, the director and uh, Elizabeth Banks. And you're right. It was Bill Hader that said that films are the films are at their most effective when they don't beat you over the head with uh, with diversity or representation. Um, and I think that, I think this, this, the, the part the, the fact that she's the first LGBTQ Ranger was handled in a way that just felt appropriate and normal. And, um, it, it fit the story. It fit within the story. Well, and you mentioned how, you know, things aren't beat. We're not being beaten over the head by anything, you know, regarding this, but that's, that's the whole movie too. The movie doesn't even beat us right. over the head with the main themes either. You know, it, you right. kind of have to be, I wasn't, I'll t- I'll be honest. I wasn't smart enough to pick up on why some of these things were happening the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot on why the morphing grid opened on why Billy transformed on why, you know, the Megazord formed. A, yeah. a lot of it just seemed like day ex machina, <laughs> you know, uh, upon mm-hmm. first observation. Convenient. And, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it, part of that was probably because I was expecting something completely different and I didn't expect mm-hmm. this much depth in a movie titled power Rangers, mm-hmm. not to, not to, you know, throw the franchise under the bus. I think, uh, the entire franchise has really pushed the envelope in, in terms of themes regarding uh, in, in, in children's programming. And that's why again, our podcast exists. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is why, you know, this podcast is, is, has done such a great job being what it is. I think here now that has the opportunity to kind of branch outside of children's programming it can kind of be that nuanced storytelling without, you know, just bashing your head in with certain themes and ideas, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and Trini is another one of those ideas. Uh, you know, I liked the fact that she admits it, they, and they accept it. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's just, that, that seemed like a very realistic approach oh yeah you know people who were mm-hmm. just like well they didn't do anything with it well what what would you have liked like what did you to... what did you want them to do yeah what did you want just... to do with it that would have fit in with the the rest of the story which was a lot was already going on mm-hmm. you know yeah so i i don't know i like the fact that i i can say that a power ranger was the first in all of these <laughs> and um uh and i i have a lot of empathy for the character too Mm-hmm. So it's, it's um, like you said, it's a, the a power ranger is the first one to do it. And that's what's, that's, what's important as fans. That's what's important. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So, uh, Nathan, really quick, you were going to say something about the yeah, commentary. The, I'm sorry. Yeah. The Dean Israelite and Gattens, the screenwriter did the commentary and they said that they were aware of the potential consequences of doing this. They acknowledged okay. that they knew that, okay. you know, that 
so it, it was something that they wanted to do, but they were aware that there could be problems with it. You know, they knew it could divide the audience. It's a controversial issue. And right. they met in the editing room with people from Saban and Lionsgate when they were mm -hmm. working on the scene. Right. And when both of those reps, when all those reps said that they could keep it, one of the producers cried. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, Israelite went, then said that he wouldn't be surprised if eventually there was an entire team of LGBT plus rangers. So he looked at it as like, this is a good first step in that direction. Gotcha. So, and then they moved on and talked about other things, much like <laughs> what, the, much like what the characters do. Cause right. you know, it's a detail, but it doesn't have to be the detail. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an important nuance to the character, but it's not like everything about, but it's, but her sexuality is not everything about her. Right. Cause there's so much more going on with her. And I think that, the her sexuality is part of why she feels isolated and alone and feels mm -hmm. like the outsider but that is the main right. thing that is the defining right characteristic of her story in this is the fact that she's the outsider who is finding people she connects with that's oh, yeah. the important part that's the part everybody can understand oh yeah you know, you don't have to be a bisexual woman to understand that. Another thing I want to point out is that feeling like an outsider. I, you know, maybe they also added the uh, her being bisexual uh, in there because it makes her feel so, you know, even more distant than she already is. Right? Mm -hmm. Like we're already getting the feeling that she's distant. Um, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, people. but she was you know, distant was like... from the. So when you know. Oh, go on. I feel like I was just going to say, I, I think it's, I think you just, this is not, this wasn't in my notes and it just kind of clicked whenever you said that Jack, but when we first meet Trini, she is in the distance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is true. Like she, she, she is in the distance. So mm -hmm. when we first meet her, she's up on a hilltop doing yoga, listening to, to metal, death, metal, me, listening to metal core music. Like, okay, that's, that was, that's random, but I like that little nuance to the character. But when we first meet her, she is off in the distance. Mm -hmm. So it's a subtle way of saying, hey, this this character is more more of a lone wolf style character, more right. of an aloof character than mm -hmm. the rest of our team, which, you know, kind of unites fairly quickly. together. Mm -hmm. And I do think something should be mentioned about the setting in this, because even Angel Grove is pretty reimagined in this it's not the bustling california metropolis of <laughs> no. of, of the original show it it's specific, it feels it's more like specific. A, it feels more like a medium-sized city in the middle of nowhere hmm. yeah. whether it's yeah, california it's like we don't know i mean they filmed this in Vancouver, well it's but it's it's still California, but it's like Pacific Northwest. Right. California. Yeah. But it because but the but Andrew Grove is smaller and it feels more isolated. And somebody in mm. Trini's position would probably feel even more isolated because oh, of yeah. that. Because you can't you know, small town, smaller cities, small towns are not always the most accepting of places. So right. you know because they tend to you know prefer their own and you know and you know they have. Particular a little bit more cultures. homogenous. Yeah, they're a little more a little homogenous. More. Can you guys imagine the dragon sword in that little, like, you know, lake? <laughs> 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 yeah, 
it, it would be wild, but I just, but I think I just bring that up to say, I, I feel like the, the, the way that the setting is presented, I do think factors into that. I mean, Jason even says that we all hate this town and we want to leave it. Like a lot of teenagers mm -hmm. growing up in small towns feel like they're like, I have to get out of here. I want to go to the big city and make a, you know, find my fortune, make a name for myself, you know, things like that. And yet they, they spend the entire movie trying to save it. That's, yeah. That, yeah which, that's... <laughs> again, Jason brings it up. It's like, I know we all hate this town, but we don't want to see it get blown up either. Yeah. I mean, there's also the whole world is at stake too. But yes, you yes, know. but there, it's always even in the show. It's always we gotta save Angel Grove, guys. Yeah, so it's it's. <laughs> so I mean, being that Trini is the one who questions all of this the most, that questions their their friendship, because I mean, she has one of the most powerful lines in this movie: "Are we, are we, Power friend? Rangers are friends, or are we friends?" Yeah, yeah, and. And obviously, they that they haven't put together that you have to be, you know, one, they're one and the same, right? Mm -hmm. Making her, you know, she ends with that uh, that line from the previous scene, and then it goes straight into the next scene where uh, Rita targets her, making you know right. Trini is like the perfect target for for Rita because she feels the most um, separated from the others. Mm -hmm um rita even says that she you know she relates to trini the most mm -hmm. in that regard and we we kind of get a glimpse of what rita's relationship might have been with the other power rangers but we, we won't we'll get to that later mm -hmm. um so but at the end of the day trini still went back to the others at the end of the day she still uh wanted to be with the others and uh, i i still go back to that that line before they get pushed into the pit you know, stay with me, Zach. Mm -hmm. It's it just, it, there's so many little things that make up a, a greater whole of these characters and it's right. all nuance. It's right. Beautiful. All right. And now let's move on to our final Ranger, our pink Ranger, Kimberly Hart played by Naomi Scott. I'm sure Michael has opinions because original oh, Kim wow. is very special to him. I have my, I have many many opinions, but they're all good opinions. I actually like this version of Kim. Mm -hmm. As much as as much as my nostalgic little heart loves uh, Amy Jo Johnson, I do love this version of Kim. Though. Yeah, this uh, this version of Kim in next to maybe Trini is probably the most radically reimagined because this version of Kim is tapping into another teenage high school drama movie, Mean Girls. Mean Girls. Yep. Yeah. Which is Kim a, which is a side, mean girl, which sidebar that would have been, I think you and I talked about this, Nathan, about how those two girls that she sees in the bathroom, uh, they could have been the new bulk and skull. And that would have been a nice twist. If they, if we would have gotten a sequel, that would have been a nice twist to sort of the, the bully quote unquote, yeah. the bully dynamic. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did have the long haired kid in detention. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who's a, by the way, is a musician. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway and actually they they softened kim a little bit actually compared to the original script because she's in detention because she circulated a we never see it we don't get a lot of detail about it but the, shall we say a uh, very a intimate sex. picture <laughs> of, yeah, very intimate of one movie. of the other mean girls she circulated it 
It was shared to her in confidence, which admittedly is something I don't fully understand why teenage girls do that, but okay. But I know some people are trying to call it revenge porn, and I, your mileage may vary on that idea, but orig- in the script originally, she was the one who took the picture and then shared it. And I think, I can't remember who told, told said not to do that. Might have been Saban. I'm not sure. It might have been Haim Saban. Who said no? Don't you? You don't want to do that. It'll make people just hate her. So they right. changed it. They softened it so that she didn't take it, but she sent it out, and then it, you know, it, it got to everybody. That's right. why she's in trouble. And I think that's a better way to go about it because it fits better thematically here. Because you don't want to make her so despicable that it's going to make the road to redemption a very long one. <laughs> But you still want to see it, and you know, they a, a lot of fans they they find her the most dislikable character of the five in this and because of that because of what she did. But there's a lot of reality in her oh, yeah. that I see because I'm again I work with a lot of <laughs> a lot of high schoolers and stuff like that, and uh, this is something I've run into multiple times. Um, people getting like uh, either detention or kicked out of school because of this kind of thing. Right. And uh, it's very serious. And a lot of people, they don't take it too seriously in this movie because they feel like her problems are less, you know, <laughs> um, important than, say, Zach with her, his his mom being sick or Trini and, and her ordeals and, and it feels petty in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. They feel, they, they think it feels petty in comparison. Very good. And, but the thing is, is trauma affects all of us differently. Oh yeah. Right. Uh, the levels of trauma all affect us differently. And the thing with Kimberly is that she felt that she was a monster, Mm -hmm. you know, until, you know, she, finally confronts what is a true monster, but she felt she was a monster. And uh, it, it one, one of the uh, most telling scenes is when she cuts her hair at the very beginning. She looks in the mirror. She can't stand what she sees. Mm. She can't stand what she sees. So she cuts oh, yeah. her hair to see something different, to see something that doesn't really look like her. Okay, that makes a lot more sense now because I will admit, I've watched this movie several times and that scene baffles me every time. I like, I don't get it. If it's because I'm not no, a girl, I don't get it. But <laughs> no, Jack, Jack's Jack's on to something. It's 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 her it's her it's her way of taking some of that power back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or or just kind of changing. It's almost like a maiming of oneself. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm, yeah. You know, cause she, because she's the the pretty prissy, you know, preppy girl who is known for as being a cheerleader and stuff like that. And she just offs her hair uh, in in the bathroom. I love you, you even here in the background when she gets in her dad's car, like, you cut your hair. Um, <laughs> and well, when, when we first see her, she's walking down the hallway and she has this like beautiful head of hair and it's long and dark. Mm. And, and like, she looks, she's, she's, she's a gorgeous, gorgeous woman. And then it's kind of reinforced. By the way, that almost, was a wig. Bo- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a wig, but well, well. don't uh, thanks guys for <laughs> messing that up. for me Now, now when, um, when you see her with short hair, that's actually her hair, but for really those her. scenes, they yeah. had to use a wig <laughs> anyway. Anyway, 
uh, and it's reinforced and, and, and it's kind of like they hang a lampshade on it when she walks back into the detention hall and everyone's like, Oh my God, like that. She cut her hair because mm-hmm. I guess she was the, she was the, she was the cheerleader. She was the, she was the pretty one, you know, she yeah. was, and to see her like so radically different, even, even in a pet, even with a petty thing, like just cutting your hair in, I would say in, in a high school environment, that's still a big freaking. Deal. Oh, that is a huge deal. Yeah. Right. No, that is a huge deal. It's been, to be fair, it's been several years or well, it's all for all of us. It's been several years since we've uh, darkened the halls of a high school. But I remember it being a huge deal when girls would cut their hair. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because when you're a teenager, everything feels huge. Everything is a everything is a big deal, which which actually thank you, Nathan. That's a good segue to what I was what I was leading up to it in in the grand scheme of it. Kimberly's problems feel really petty in comparison. And that's very, very typical of high school life where a lot of the problems and a lot of the things that high schoolers from now I'm, I'm speaking from perspective of like remembering what my high school was like, like the, the problems and the things that they would go through were really kind of petty in comparison. Right. But as we've already been talking about, I think it's less about what, about the actual things that were done and more about how it affects her. Okay. Yeah. Right. She, yeah. she, it affects people. She shared, like yeah. She circulated a nude of a, one of the, of one of the bully girls, the mean girls at the school without consent. Okay. Right. That's not a nice thing to yes. do. It's awful compared to everything compared to what some of these other kids have done. It doesn't seem like that's a big deal, but she felt so shamed, ashamed of what she did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just guilt. She was ashamed of what she did. It was, more that is where that's what is important here. It's more she betrayed. She like uh, if in most of the scenes with Kimberly, there there's some sort of reflection going on there. Whether she's standing mm-hmm. in front of a mirror, or there's a mirror behind her, or she's going into the lake, she can't stand the sight of her because she sees herself as a monster, as a villain, as something right. that's that's just nasty and grotesque because of what mm-hmm. she did, because of how she hurt people. When you hurt people like that, and you realize it. That it, it takes on a whole different beast in your head. And when she goes to Jason says, I think I'm the reason we can't morph. I'm the reason we can't morph because she, she thought she was just so ugly inside. It's guilt. Yeah. Yeah. There's that ugliness she feels there that she's carrying with her. And, and it takes, you know, Jason telling her, you did something awful. That doesn't make you an awful person. You be who you want to be. Right. And at the mm-hmm. tail end of the movie, at the tail end of the movie, she's looking in the mirror again and she has that, you know, picture of the five of them. And, and she looks in and she kind of tilts her head and she has a little bit of a smile. She mm-hmm. doesn't take another pair of scissors to her hair. She doesn't maim her face or take off makeup or anything like that. She tilts her head and she smiles. She's becoming comfortable with who she is because she's right. going to become who she wants to be, not what she feels she is. Because. As we know, you know, emotions, emotions are real, but they're not exactly accurate. Right. And that's that's what's going on in her. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes, honestly, her journey in this so great. And I think because she makes a connection with Jason and it's very implicitly attraction, which 
I'm glad that they left it implicit. There was an earlier version of that scene where her and Jason kiss mm-hmm. because she's like, because she felt so happy about what he said. She's like, I kind of want to be the girl who kisses you right now, which interestingly, right. that didn't test well with test audiences because they felt mm-hmm. like it robbed Kim actually a little bit there. It and I do happen. think it's a, it was a better decision to not have them kiss. And also that's another piece of the sequel baiting you know that's something we can develop in a later movie right here's my thing i like uh, with since we don't have a sequel i like to think that it was close a close plutonic plutonic one day i won't graduate school and uh you know learn to talk but uh it, it was a close platonic relationship of two friends really connecting um i i would have thought that probably what ended up happening was in a sequel. Um, there would have been a love triangle amongst her and Tommy and Jason mm-hmm. of some sort, but we don't have that. So what we do have is something where uh, two people are connecting They They don't end up kissing because the scene needs to be about Kimberly, mm-hmm. not Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Not Jason scoring another, you know, touchdown here it needs to be (laughs) (laughs) so um i i I do want to piggyback off of i want to go back and piggyback off of something that you were uh it's kind of what you were talking about jack where uh a lot of times you know our view of self like how we view ourselves is not entirely accurate to the reality of ourselves Mm -hmm. Like we can view ourselves that we're this horrible, horrible person, that we're worthless, that uh, no one likes us. We're untalented. Yeah. Like whatever, whatever you're internally, because I've, I've done this before. I've, 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 uh, I've had like the imposter syndrome before and that, but that's not always, but that's not the truth. Like that's not the truth about myself. What you believe about yourself is not always the truth about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie in, in this particular movie, Kim has to discover like what's actually true about herself, not what she believes about herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, you nailed it right there. And that's why I think she I, I, that's why I love this variation of the character is because there's so much truth in, mm-hmm. in what she's going through. And, mm-hmm. you know, so many people just look at it on the surface level being like, well, she's a jerk for doing that. And it's not nearly as important as these other what these other guys are going through. And that's not, that's not, and, and you really got to look at, at all the scenes with her to feel that, you know, she's, she's probably the most bitter of them, even more so than Trini. Cause she says early on uh, to Jason, she says, weird hearing you say my name. Like we know each other. And he says, mm-hmm. well, we do. He goes, well, we know of each other, but we don't know each other. Know each other. Mm-hmm. In the biblical sense. Uh huh. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> thank you so uh, much for that. That's my, Michael. Own, that's thank my you only so one. much that's for that, Michael. I, that, I was like, that, <laughs> that's my only one. That's my only one. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, but at the same that early time, draft, I mean, like, all, they almost got there, but <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Anyway, finish your thought, Jack. But at the same time, like she goes from that, right? Mm-hmm. To yeah. again, we'll go to the the pit almost being pushed into the the Zeo pit scene where she has a very pivotal line, hold on to each other. And I'll mm-hmm. and I'll explain why that's I believe that's such a, an important line in the whole movie later. Yeah. But yeah. you go from we don't know each other to hold on to each other. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. That juxtaposition shows so much about where she came from and where she is. Right. And I I think it's interesting because Michael and I have been talking about this. Most of our pink Rangers throughout this whole franchise, their archetype is typically they're very feminine. They're very compassionate. And (laughs) this Kim is not quite there. There's shades of it. Like that line you were mentioning. But once again, like we've been talking about, this is kind of the same characters from the show growing into those archetypes. Yeah, proto proto forms of these those characters. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this the closest thing that I can think of. Like going through all these seasons, the closest Pink Ranger that I can compare her to is Jen from Time Force, mm-hmm. because there's yeah. a like Jack said, there's a lot of bitterness with with Jen from when time from Time Force for different reasons because she lost someone she loved. And it's and it's and it's it's a bitterness that stems from grief, but this is a bitterness stemming from self-loathing. Right. With this particular version of Kimberly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is I don't think that's something Power Rangers has ever touched in this way before. Mm. Not uh, exactly. Ranger, Ranger that loathes Not exactly. himself or herself like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we've had we've had those who aren't confident in themselves. Or, uh, un- or aren't sure that are worthy to be a ranger and whatnot, but to truly despise oneself, to not be able to look at themselves in the mirror and to change something so they don't recognize it. That's different. Yeah, I think the closest I could think of might be Corone in Lost Galaxy because she's dealing with her past as, the, as a villain, but that is examined for a couple of episodes and then they move on to other things. I also feel like yeah. that's a little closer to, am I worthy to do this? Yeah. You know? So that, yeah, I, I get what you're saying though. Yeah. But you know, I have to bring Corona up because reasons anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I debated if I wanted to have this in the notes, but we will talk at least briefly about Sixth Ranger because we get Tommy Oliver, kinda. Kinda. <laughs> Tommy kinda. is the post credit, <laughs> kinda. kinda. We see his jacket and he gets name dropped in detention. And so, I think it was wise not to cast anyone yet for. for I think so you know, as well. Was... I, I it would have been too much if we actually if we actually saw the character. And I actually well, heard the in the commentary that that was. Not the originally how it was scripted. Originally, they weren't going to have the post credit be in detention. They were going to have, I think, at least Kim and Jason go to the cafeteria. And as they walk in, they find out that they just missed a big fight in the cafeteria. And when they ask what happened, they say basically Tommy Oliver happened, and then it and then it ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I like that they I like they left it a little open ended because some of the fan theories uh, about a sequel was actually Tommy was going to be female. Yeah, a couple of the, the actors, I think Montgomery and Kyler said that they think it would have been cool if they made Tommy mm-hmm. a girl. And then that kind of spawned some fan theories surrounding the the sequel and all that. And I and I kind of let and I kind of like that they left that post-credit scene just a jacket and you really can't tell if it's a male jacket or a female jacket it's a Letterman, uh, uh, what do they call those not varsity jacket um, um, yeah varsity jacket it's a varsity jacket. jacket okay letterman, letterman jacket letterman, letterman jacket. jacket that's right yeah. letterman jacket yeah yeah it's a letterman jacket yeah so it just makes me wonder what what type of tommy oliver we would have gotten now nathan you and i've had this discussion and we mm-hmm. don't have to we don't have to park here long because we just don't know yeah. this is completely this is completely theorizing mm-hmm. but 
the the theory that you and I came up with is that Tommy would actually be the villain for part two. Yeah, for the if this movie. was a trilogy, our th- what we thought would well, our theory was that the because Rita when she gets backhanded, she doesn't have the wand, which means she doesn't have the coin. So we were thinking what would probably happen is Tommy, who, uh, who we would say Tommy is a good kid with a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. So you know we're giving yeah. him the grounded edge, but. Main, but you know maintaining the core of the character so yeah, right. you know he's probably native american and he gets picked on you know and he doesn't go starting fights but boy howdy when you uh, when you push him hard enough he's gonna push back even harder so that's right. why he gets in trouble and you know right. they they think of him as a troublemaker so he finds rita's coin somewhere wandering angel grove he takes the coin and the coin has been corrupted by all the years that rita used it and then he takes that and then the coin basically amplifies the chip on his shoulder. And then he becomes yeah. the evil green ranger. And then he's the villain for movie two. The rangers have to deal with that. They manage to break that hold of him, redeem him, so to speak, like in green with evil. And then in movie three, we have Lord Zed basically yeah. as the main villain. Like as, he goes and like thing. finds Rita on the moon or something like that. You know, he gets the, you know, finds her so you can bring Rita back and all that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah. And he's the other that will come looking for the Zeo crystal mm-hmm. as alluded to in this movie. Right. Right. I thought it was a cute Easter egg. I haven't thought that far about it. I, I, I had kind of a, a painted in my head, a, a loose continuity where maybe in the second movie, the only way to beat him, the only way to free him was to destroy the Green Ranger powers, uh, bringing him in as the White Ranger in the third movie. Oh, OK. I could see that. Uh, but, but uh, you know, we'll never because we still have the Zeo crystal hanging out underneath Angel Grove. So it, they would have they mean under the Krispy Kreme like, <laughs> under the Krispy. Yeah. You got some Krispy Kreme before the recording, which, by speaking, the way. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's a segue. Speaking of, I've been eating donut holes this whole time. Um, <laughs> which, I, by the way, okay, that's another thing that com- a criticism that gets lobbed at this movie. There's a lot of product placement, particularly for Krispy Kreme. And even I thought, okay, this seems pretty crass. Well, here's the funny thing. <laughs> the, yeah. the director and the writer addressed that in their commentary because even... And when they recorded the commentary, they were dealing with that criticism. And they said, no, we weren't doing it to get a bu- to get money for product placement. That was nice. But they said that they arrived at that not for product placement, but organically in the writing process, because they said basically what they conclude is like it would be really f- uh, you know, funny if the Zeo Crystal, this incredibly powerful MacGuffin that's been lying around on Earth for millions of years is under something com- very modern and innocuous and ubiquitous that nobody yeah, would think to look there. So like, it could be like yeah. a McDonald's, a Starbucks, and they just landed on Krispy Kreme. Yeah. yeah. And they, it, it, it is funny though, because we always think of things like this, like tropes like this in like some great temple that they must infiltrate or something like that. But when it comes down it is to funny. it, when it comes right down to it, would there be a temple or something created for this? No, it'd probably just be sitting under a, you know, a water main somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just love, it actually, it just makes it funny when you hear where when Billy's like, it's under Krispy Kreme. And Rita says, Krispy Kreme. 
this must be a special place. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, I, I'm sitting there like, yes, it is a special place. <laughs> it, is a, it is a delicious and special place. And then later like, on, she's nom, actually nom, in nom. the Krispy Kreme. It's everything is exploding around her. And she has apparently discovered the joys of donuts. And she's just eating a donut <laughs> while everything is blowing up around her. It's <laughs> because <laughs> again the last 20 minutes of this movie is the show because <laughs> yeah. that is what like, they would uh, do in the show <laughs> it is it yeah I, I i've been i've been sitting here eating donut holes the whole time the whole recording because i had to go that's what we were a little bit delayed recording this listeners with attitude because i had to go run an errand and stop by Krispy cream because it felt appropriate yeah because it was there place. and you're just like well <laughs> because it was there yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm recording on this movie i have to <laughs> of course i don't I mean look i don't have to have an excuse to get krispy kreme i love krispy kreme we know um, so, <laughs> you know my waistline does not but i do um <laughs> uh, but all of that all of that to say you know that that's not exactly you know why how they came to that and yeah they teased tommy Unfortunately, it's a tease. We're never really going to see how that would have panned out. And I think it's, yeah. I do think it's a massive missed opportunity because it's just so, like we said, it's so tragic watching that documentary. Everybody went into this wanting to make something great, wanted to make something for the fans and assuming they were going to get a, a little movie franchise out of this, you know, mm-hmm. a nice sub franchise yeah. within the Ranger fandom. Yeah. within the ranger franchise it would have been and i think it, there was so much potential to do some interesting things with this i'm wondering if the backlash to this movie is what kind of pushed saban over the edge of finally selling it back s- selling it to to hasbro i wouldn't be surprised although the i from what i read it did well when it hit home media apparently not yeah, well it, enough it, to it, make them seriously consider making a sequel but a lot it 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 had a same it had the, it had the pacific rim treatment it did it didn't do great in the theaters but it but it did well in home media releases right but what saved became more of a cult classic yeah but what saved pacific rim was the foreign box office specifically Mm -hmm. china that's true yeah yeah but this this did not do well anywhere unfortunately yeah especially japan did not do well in Japan at all. But Japan doesn't really like anything we do with their uh, their properties. So yeah. that, with that's their not IP, yeah. yeah, that's not shocking. Yeah, I mean, the, this, the, is, the, this is Juranja Iron Man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to talk about that, I'm sure. But anyway, yeah, we'll talk uh, about the suits in a bit. Yeah, let's get into the supporting cast now. We kind of expanded a little bit. There's two characters in the supporting cast that are the most important here. Mm-hmm. That will right. this is where mo- where most of our discussion is going to be, and that's Zordon. First off, played by Brian Cranston. So this man is now in two big American as Americanized franchises of Japanese properties because he obviously was in Godzilla 2014. Funny thing is, from what I have heard. Apparently, Billy Cranston, even back in the 90s, was named after him, supposedly. Supposedly, yeah. Supposedly. And some of Mr. Cranston's first acting gigs was voiceover, was doing voiceover for some Monsters of the Week on yep. Power Rangers. He, yep. He was, he was Snizzard from season one, mm-hmm. and he was Eye Guy mm-hmm. from season one. Right. Right. <laughs> And here he gets to be 
Zordon. And it's interesting to see how they went about this. He did wear some makeup. He did a lot of screen capture, some green screening. But he said he didn't really get to see the main cast. He was mostly doing his stuff elsewhere. And then they would, the like I said, they would uh, mocap his face, basically. And then Actually, they put it into a computer. Actually, correction. I have to on the fly correction here. Sorry, I actually looked up Eye Guy to make sure. After I said that, he was actually he did not voice. I okay, guy. I thought I he guy did. Was I guy, but... No, no, no. A vo- I guy voiced the I guy voice was done by Richard Cansino. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, so the, he also voiced King Sphinx, but that's yeah. not for this discussion. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I actually thought what they did with Zordon here. There's in terms because he's reimagined visually. His origin is reimagined. And his motivations are reimagined as well. Basically, everything's reimagined. He's still, I think, at his core, the Zordon we remember. Again, he kind of becomes that. But let's start with the surface and work our way down. What did you guys think of the visual presentation of Zordon? Because he's he's not the head in the tube, but they still kept the the at least the visual idea of that. But he's the head in the virtual wall. But I'll yeah, the pin first. wall. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, I think I think the visual representation word because you know he's you know he's still a great head, a big giant head. Man, no one got that. Okay, so <laughs> it was uh yeah he's still a large head just kind of like floating around. I, I got it, but I Thank wasn't going to acknowledge it. Oh, you yeah. jerk. Um and <laughs> and I think uh yeah visually I didn't have any issue with it at all. It was kind of nice that he could kind of move around the room too, right? So he could emphasize. Uh, certain right. things to specific rangers mm-hmm. so right. that that's fine i i did kind of take issue with his selfishness and how he was using the rangers at first well, uh, it's trust issues yeah it's, trust, it's issues. trust issues but at the same time you know and i it, this is dawned on me the last time i watched it that uh you know i kind of wondered if i kind of wondered if uh zordon was also the last piece of the puzzle to opening the morphing grid and getting them to morph. Because while there's no, there's nothing to suggest this on screen, um, he too creates an act of love and selflessness mm-hmm. when opening mm-hmm. the mo- morphing grid. And instead returning himself, he brings Billy back. Mm-hmm. And right. even if that has nothing to do with opening the morphing grid, it still mirrors the thematics of characters that don't know one another uh, later on, making extreme sac- sacrifices out of love for each other. You know, Zordon does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Zordon's motivations are complicated. First off, we get a definite origin for him. He used mm-hmm. to be a Red Ranger, which at the time was a radical reimagining. I, I think it's though. a. I think it's one that make that actually makes sense. And he kind of has the. I'm trying to remember his name, but it's the the it's. The beginning of this movie, the prologue, is reminds me a lot of Green Lantern, the, at least the concept of the character, where you had this alien who wielded uh, a powerful weapon. The name escapes me, but I know what you're talking I, about. I wish I could remember. I used to be able to rattle off the name, but of the the alien who had the ring before Hal Jordan. But because he does basically the same thing, he's dying, and then he says to the power coins, go find people who are worthy. Well, and I never then made he, yeah. yeah. And then he dies. And I keep, I'm going to like randomly blurt this alien's na- name out at some point. It's going to come right back to me 
and I'll just, yeah. Eben, sir, I want to say, no, that's not right. Anyway. Uh, and so I do think he genuinely is concerned about making sure Rita doesn't complete mm -hmm. her plot. Yeah. But he's also distracted by the fact that he thinks he has to be the one to do it. And to do that, he has to get his body back. But the way to get the body back is to get these kids to actually morph. Right. So, so even though yeah. he's saying, he... I need a team, and maybe he would need a team. Maybe his plan was to get his body back, become a ranger, and then take these kids on as his new team. You know, maybe that was all there, but it's there's still that element of selfishness there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm willing to go with I'm willing to go with that Zordon was the was the final puzzle piece uh to do it. Because we don't uh, we just don't we just don't know. We do, we just really don't know if if Billy coming back to life and them all kind of hugging and loving each other at that moment, if that really tr if that truly would have done it, or if or if or if a, 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 if they needed that extra boost from an ultra powerful being like Zordon, I, I don't know. I well, mean, it's I, because because what because what Zordon had to give up was something that he valued the most, and that was his body, his own body. Well, he his had to sacrifice body, his his own body to defeat. Rita, I think, is right, like right. his mission was all about stopping her. Right, right, right. And you know, because I think there's some resentment there for him, which makes total sense. Because Rita basically betrayed him and the rest of the team and murdered everyone else. Well, yeah. his he's motivated. He's motivated by vengeance. Um, I mean, it's righteous indignation too, but it's 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 a lot of like revenge and vengeance. Revenge. No, um, revenge. <laughs> with 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 Zordon, but. It's he has to he has to relinquish his selfishness to he has to learn to trust the Rangers and mm -hmm. relinquish his selfishness. And I think a lot of that goes back to there's a couple of scenes where Jason just stands up to him, which mm -hmm. I think is, is interesting. Zordon is still the mentor, but then there are points where the mentee just stands right up to him and says, what do you think you're doing? Mm -hmm. you know, let me lead the team. I know what I'm doing. Which he didn't yeah. yet, but. No, but, you know, he's still standing up to him, which in yeah, a, in a right. different movie, in a different context, that could have just been seen as the obstinate student. But here, mm -hmm. there's an kind element of, a, of truth to it. Kind of an Anakin Skywalker annoyance. Yeah. Yeah. So. <clears throat> well, it's because I think Jason saw, I think Jason saw Zordon's tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because that was his issue. It's like, you're pushing us too hard. Why mm -hmm. are you pushing us so hard? Well, and you know, it make it, it, the one thing that does confuse me is that if if caring for one another is what opens the morphing grid, um, obviously Zordon had to accomplish that as well with his team. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wonder if you know he kept that from them on purpose, or uh, it, even if he did, that wouldn't make any sense because like he he still wanted the morphing grid open. Mm -hmm. so maybe it worked differently for these kids. Well, maybe I'm. I'm going to touch on that later, but okay. when we get into thematics. Yeah. But, you know, it it it's uh it was a big deal getting Brian Cranston for this. He's a high caliber actor and the fact that mm. it, I don't you would think at this point in the post MCU world that we live in getting high caliber actors like this in, in a movie like this would not surprise us anymore, but I do think it was yeah. a really big get 
for them. Yeah, this is this is post uh, this is post Breaking Bad finale. This is post Godzilla twenty fourteen. Uh, you know, Brian Cranston's Brian a big deal. Cran- <laughs> Brian Cranston's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And now we have Alpha Five, who is voiced and played by Bill Hader because he did mocap for it. Bill Hader is a comedian, which I think is an interesting choice for Alpha. It was necessary. I yeah. think it was necessary. It, it was necessary to cast to ha- because for such a heavy move for such a heavy movie with heavy themes like this, I think that it was important to cast some of the, one of those lighter characters and alpha five in and of itself kind of lends itself lend it's a like it's a character that lends itself to being a more comedic character and mm-hmm. really if you think about the original show the original alpha was somewhat of a comedic character he was, too he was a little bit of a comic relief i would say you know yeah. he was the one who could feel overwhelmed by what's going on Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, this one, Alpha 5 in this movie probably reminds me the most of, you know, any of the characters from the show, just because of the goofiness and the the levity, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And I, I did enjoy his lines like his today, Monday. Yeah. 65 million years. Uh, it's been 65 million years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of what Bill Hader, a lot of Alpha's lines were improvised by Bill Hader. Because he, he right. and he actually only did the mocap for just one really long day. So they just he would just say stuff on the fly and they would, if they liked it, they used it, you know? And so it's it's a very complete performance because he's not just doing the voice. He's doing the body motion. Now they still did some additional animations for him, but they, he created the attitude. Right. And they were a, and one of the things that I really appreciated about that documentary is it went into kind of the sound design for alpha um, because he doesn't, he he doesn't have eyebrows, so he, he can't show emotion and he really can't blink. But what they what they did to work around that was they created like these a set of sound effects to show emotion. Mm-hmm. Like when when um, when Billy dies, you can it, it, Alpha omits kind of a sound like pew, yeah. like a really subtle pew. Like it sounds like he's like powering I- down, like he's like he's sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love the sound design in this movie. Mm-hmm. I also think probably next to the costumes and the Zords. I feel like Alpha 5 is kind of the poster child for, and it points the convenient punching bag for the movie's aesthetics and the people who don't like it. Because Alpha does look weird. He definitely, you can recognize him as Alpha 5, but he looks very odd. He looks alien. Yeah. I mean, you can recognize everything as like Power Rangers in this to some extent or another. It's just the design language is off. But of that design language that I dislike, I really don't have too much of a problem with Alpha. No. Uh, he, he, alpha alpha <laughs> is still alpha, better than bootleg uh, solar panel alpha and mega alpha is the <laughs> oh. least of alpha is the least of my concerns when it comes to like the aesthetics yeah. of this movie. Yeah. Do you still th- guys still think that he serves as Zordon's hands and feet in this? That's a, you know, that's a really good question yes. because yes, because he shows them the pit. He kind of, he trains with Billy. Yeah. For a little bit. Yes. The matchups, <laughs> he actually punches the, him. <laughs> the ma- the matchups aren't equal. So alpha has, Billy has to be stuck with alpha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> or or you could look at it as Billy has the privilege of working with Alpha and all the rest of them have to deal with the putties. <laughs> well, that, we do true. get to, we that's actually true. do get to see Alpha grab tiny hol holographic putty and just and you know throw him and he's like, "Yeah, okay, that see was adorable. like that." <laughs> that was adorable. I'm I'm going to get that that was adorable. And he does say he says the thing. Actually, he says a couple of the go, things. Go, go, Power Ranger! No, no, he says aye, the alpha aye, aye. Aye, 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 aye. And if and it didn't feel shoehorned. It felt very natural. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. Because it came with an it came in a moment of frustration, like aye, aye, aye. It's <laughs> yeah. not like aye, 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 but it's aye, aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> so I I like Alpha. I like Alpha a lot. Yeah. Alpha's fine. Al Alpha's fine. I think. I think again, Alpha is the least of my concerns with mm -hmm. the least of my dislikes mm -hmm. of this movie. I also do kind of wonder, you know, again, if there was a sequel, could we have actually seen Alpha get a little bit more involved in the action? I mean, you know, he tossed a holographic putty. He has an extendo arm that he's actually freaking the kids out with because they meet him first and he's like grabbing people and dragging them around. And <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, he does have a really nice moment. He's like, one, two, three, four. Oh, wait, you. And then grabs <laughs> and grabs that. <laughs> yeah. Where's the, where's the, there were five of you. Where's it? Oh, there you are. <laughs> five different kids, different color kids. <laughs> that was a good one. Okay, so that was a good that, line. That was a good line because you could take that in a lot of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> and he actually kind of understands human interaction a little bit better than Zordon, you know? And then, oh, well, and, you know, they, they may had a made-up language and they actually had Alpha say it and Zordon say it, Rita said it, and yeah, it's, they speak a primitive dialect called English. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's in your mainframe. It's in your, look it up. It's in your mainframe. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, uh, are we done with Alpha? Yeah, we're done with Alpha. Okay. Let's, we can... I tell you what, let's let's kind of zoom through right. uh, these these other characters, yeah, it, and then I want to and then I want to park just a few minutes on the actual aesthetics of the suits okay. before we get into villains. Uh, should villains. I that, should I prepare the button? No, oh. no, it's no, it's fine. Uh, don't prepare the button. But I just want to kind of zoom through okay. the the, the yeah, extra supporting cast. Yeah, we do want to talk at least a little bit about a couple of the parents in this. So yeah. specifically, Sam Scott, who's Jason's dad, played by David Denman. Mrs. Taylor away from the office. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Taylor played by Fiona Fu and Mr. And Mrs. Kwan, who are played by mm -hmm. Patrick Sabanagui and Erica Sarah. I hope I said those names right. Well, we kind of touched on them a little bit. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Bottom line, they're nuts. They make, make Trini feel alone. That right. <laughs> right. And we've talked yeah. about Mrs. Taylor a little bit because she has she's sick. We don't know what she has. Mm, I love but the ambiguity, she, though. Yeah, but she's sick, and Zach is spending a lot of his time taking care of her, which he probably feels... There's a level of responsibility that he feels that he has to do. That sounds like he's the only family she has at this point, and it would also explain why he is such a, a thrill seeker, probably because he needs that as a way of escape, because he lives this very mundane, you know, poor lifestyle you know, with taking care of his mother. And doesn't know, well, probably it, doesn't know how long he, he has with her. Honestly. Right. Which he yeah, says, I he's say, like, I don't know how long she's going to be here. Yeah. 
Like sometimes he's like, sometimes I just don't want to go home because I don't want to face the reality of my mom being sick. Yeah. Right. Paraphrasing. Yeah. Right. But I do have a question about, I do have a question about Jason's dad, uh, Mr. Scott. That fi- that last scene after the Megazord fight, he pins a um, uh-huh. he, he pins a, a newspaper clipping on the refrigerator, and you typically only do that with your child. I think, at least that's the implication I'm getting. Do you think Mister Scott knew that was his son in the in the Red Ranger suit when he saved him? It's. I've always smiled at that scene. I've always smiled at the scene where. Uh, miss taylor gives zach a high five because i i've always wondered that same question and it's Mm -hmm. the not knowing that makes it that much more interesting uh it possibly maybe they do maybe they don't maybe they have some sense that their own kids are these these heroes i don't know Uh, it it (laughs) is fascinating to think about to me though it's an interesting juxtaposition because when we first meet Mr. Scott, Jason's dad, he's basically berating Jason for getting into a car accident and losing his scholarship. No, he was injured. berating him about the cow. Berating him. Well, about, well and then yeah, the car accident. Yeah, and the car accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the car accident, that, losing this, his. This and, movie is, and, weir- and is losing, a little bit weirdly obsessed with car accidents. <laughs> and losing. And losing yeah. his opportunity to be in front of a scout. That was mm-hmm. what, it, not scholarship, but a scout. Right. Uh, because Mr. Scott goes it, goes on to say, I had scouts. We had scouts coming to that game. Why did you screw this up? Mm-hmm. Like, what Like what were you thinking? Mm-hmm. And I took that as the one of the reasons why Jason is so reckless is because I feel like he was... Um, trying to not necessarily get out of it. it would have been really interesting to know if, if his dad was a, like a football star himself with like in their it's own the impression home. I got it's the impression like, like if he was trying to get out of his dad's shadow or if he was just frustrated because he felt like his dad had his entire life planned out for him, which mm-hmm. is a trope in power Rangers that we've seen before, like mm-hmm. the overbearing father who has, you know, the entire life. We just saw Red it Ranger in Dino charge. Actually, we just saw it in yeah. Dino Charge. Yeah, for sure. So I've, I've always, I wondered after watching that, and I, and I really like the juxtaposition from going, going from they're sitting in the car, getting ready to go into detention, and he's arguing and fussing at uh, Jason, calling him, you know, basically implying that he was a screw, well, not, well, not implying, but basically saying he was a screw up to kind of being proud of his son and like pinning up that picture specifically mm-hmm. of, it could have been of any Ranger, but it was specifically one photo of the red Ranger could have been the, if it was the entire team, I wouldn't have thought much about it because it was like, Oh, this is really cool. We have our own superheroes, but it was specifically a photo of the red Ranger. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I've, and I wondered if it was because he knew. Mm-hmm. That I, was th- his son. I think if you look at the scene where, Jason saves him as the Red Ranger. Where he calls him <clears throat> Sam. Sam. Yeah. Take yeah. My hand. I, I think yeah. I think there's a little bit of that implication. Cause because mm-hmm. th- the dad's demeanor changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I think he I think he's suspicious. I don't think he knows for sure, but I think he's suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. It it's the intuitiveness here is what kind of gets me. It's like, hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, that is something they could have, I think they could have played with 
in a sequel. There could have been a little bit of that tension, you know, like maybe in a sequel, you know, something's going down and Jason has to run off really quick and while he's hanging out with his dad and and dad's just like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Because mm-hmm. because Zordon does explain to the Rangers the three rules. Yeah, yeah. Never don't don't use your powers for personal gain. Don't share your identity with don't share your identity with anyone. Uh, don't escalate a, a fight fan, and don't escalate a fight. Thank you. I yeah. was, I'm a horrible fan. Same not rules, exact fake same fan. rules, same lines that he gave in the first episode. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So again, great potential that we'll probably never get to see. But it, but I do think the implication, the intuition there of mm-hmm. I am proud of my son, but at the same time, it's like, I can't really tell him or should I tell him, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I know. <laughs> it's fascinating. I, I, I yeah, I, I really like that moment in the movie, Michael. I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, so let's move on to our villain. Rita. Rita Repulsa, played by Elizabeth Banks. Should I have the button at the ready, Michael? I know you no, have opinions. No, 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 no. Listen, 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 listen. I used to hate this version of Rita. Used to, I used to hate this version of Rita. But again, watching the behind the scenes made me respect this character more. Now, do I have issues with the actor choice? Kind of because Nathan, you and I have talked about this. I would have, I would have liked to have seen a portray, a big screen portrayal of Rita as sort, as sort of more of a Hella character from Thor Ragnarok, or Ragnarok, or a Maleficent, or a Maleficent, or a Maleficent, like that more traditionally witchy sorceress character. Yeah, but in the con, but in the context of what this movie was supposed to be in the context of like her role from goal, like it's like she is the green ranger when, when the the scene opens up with her in green ranger costume, Mm -hmm. like going from that to seeing how she's evolved, how, how she's um, yeah, how she's evolved throughout the, throughout the film. Uh, I grew to respect it more and especially respect Elizabeth Banks more because in the behind the scenes, she talks about like actually putting in the effort to speak that language fluently. Mm -hmm. Whereas others were just kind of having a really hard time with it. Uh, Bill Hader was talking about how hard of a time he was having with it. I can't remember if uh, Brian Cranston mentioned how tough it was for him, but specifically they, they mentioned that Elizabeth Banks took the time to sit down and learn that freaking language. Mm -hmm. She actually memorized the lines so that she could, so that she could put actual emotion behind what she was saying. Right. I will say that she's the most unrecognizable compared to everything else. Everybody else you can look at him and say, okay, that's this character. Oh, those costumes. I can see the Zhu Ranger suits in there. Oh, the, I can mm-hmm. see the Zhu Ranger Zords there. Yeah. You would have to be told that Elizabeth Banks is Rita because she, the, the, design elements of the original version are there, but they're really subtle and it's mostly just her staff. It's in her staff. Yeah. It's in her staff. That's really the only, well, that's the only real obvious one there. Otherwise it doesn't, it doesn't look like the original Rita, but let's be honest. How are you going to make that costume work? It's great in Tokusatsu, but I don't think it would have been, I just don't think it would have worked in a big budget Hollywood movie. 
And you know what? This well, is another example of the the movie taking advantage of pow- making Power Rangers its own thing instead of like a hybrid, right? Uh, you know, it 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 ran with it expanded the certain mythology, and the design elements were affected by that, of course. Uh, so you you know, it just made more sense to put Rita in a sort of um a a distorted version of the power ranger costumes in this movie mm-hmm. and and give her a very sinister looking staff which part of it's made out of a human jawbone which i <laughs> i noticed that <laughs> I was yeah. like oh my god <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't notice then, i didn't notice it until that this last viewing but i noticed it like in, yeah. yeah i mean the, here's the thing they don't flat out say like she's a space witch she's a former ranger she has crazy powers whether those are because she's a witch or whatever, they never really say. They just say she used to be a ranger and she's evil. Yeah. And here's the thing. The original Rita and her Sentai counterpart, Bandora, are pretty over the top, very wicked witch of the West. And it could have, it almost would have made sense to try to ground Rita and in this, but they still let Elizabeth Banks go pretty crazy with this. But I feel like she's uh, channeling a little bit less Wicked Witch of the West. And I know this may not be a fair comparison, but there's a little bit of Heath Ledger Joker energy here because she's still nuts. She's still over the top. She's probably the most over the top thing here in terms of performance. She goes big. It just looks different compared to the original. And she says, and she, and she says the thing. And she, she says, says the thing, it. make, you know, make my monster grow. I mean, so it's there, but they let Elizabeth Banks kind of play around a little bit with the character. So there are some things that she completely improvised that they didn't plan for. Like when she's in the jewelry store and she puts the necklace in her mouth, in her mouth. Right. Yeah, right. That, was, that was just her doing her thing. That wasn't planned. And they're just like, they just went with it. So she got a lot of this stuff down in one take too. Yeah. She's very impressive. Yeah. So I, I feel like the essence of the character is still here. It just, like I said, it just looks different. I agree with that. That, Again, it's the aesthetics that, you know, throw us off the most in this movie. I, I, I like this interpretation of Rita. Mm -hmm. I like how she's still over the top. Uh, I like, her goals and motivations and i do like that there there was a relationship a a friendship between her and zordon zordon says she was my friend and that ties back into the rangers but again i'll get into thematics later um right but there there's that's that's hard right there mm-hmm. zordon says she was my friend and he says that with such pain mm-hmm. you know so it it's it's almost like well where are the rangers are he- heading now Mm-hmm. because she's such a she's she's such a radically redesigned character could you like be, like knowing what we know and being fans of this franchise could you have interchanged her with say scorpina and it would and it wouldn't have changed anything hmm um i mm, i i view scorpina as such a foot soldier though as like a like a like a general foot you know like mm. it's kind of hard for me to separate that because until like the comic book, uh, uh, Soul of the Dragon, Scorpina always seemed someone more than happy to take orders. Rita doesn't give off that vibe. No, she mm. doesn't. No, 
But I mean, but credit needs to be given, like I said, to the performance. And she has some really great lines too. Like she has some really good villain lines in this. I wrote a lot of them down. And to answer, uh, to answer the question that I asked you guys earlier, uh, Jack and Nathan in the score, did you hear an homage to her theme at, to her theme in that? Um, oh God, the track is the, the name of the track. Is Megazord? Me. No, not Megazord. It was, uh, it had the word fight in it. Um, stand and fight. No, hold, no, it wouldn't hold the line. Dag on it. <clears throat> It was uh, the final stand. Final That's stand. what it was. That's the fi- it, yeah, yeah. the final stand. Yeah, there's like this little subtle, like little harp within the first few minutes of that track, and it's it sounds like an homage to that old theme, but I can't. I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching. I I question uh, the how how you know on purpose that was how intentional that was. But I, I do hear what you're talking about. I, I went back and listened to it a few times. It does. It sounds close. Mm-hmm. But I, I do like what they do with Rita in this. Something that I picked up watching this is I noticed that Rita is often associated with death in some form or another or death imagery. Right. Like right. they find her desiccated corpse under the water, which is where she had been left after the Xenozoic prologue. And then where did they find her body in a, uh, in a fishing trough? Cause that's what, uh, that's what Mr. Scott does for a living. He's a fisherman. Well, they even, and, they even pointed out why, what does that smell? It's dead fish. Yeah. 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 And she, her body is in a bunch of de- is in a bunch of dead fish. And then she slowly revives herself as this kind of desiccated zombie. And then, the implication seems to be that she slowly reforms herself by eating meat. Now, I don't know if she ate any of her vic- human victims, but we see her eating meat and kind of slowly putting herself back together. Yeah. And I always I always assumed it was like they she ate their essence. She was she was basically sucking the the youth the youthfulness or the life the life force out of out of her victims right and and you know we just mentioned it the the jawbone in her staff Mm -hmm. like that's death that's death imagery Mm -hmm. yeah a little bit of a kind of a reaper image there and uh appropriately did you anyone catch the name of the jewelry store she went to when she kind of completed her rebirth what was it i've seen this movie so many times i haven't caught the phoenix aha Okay. Uh, Phoenix with an F. It was F E N I X. Well, and she also tells the Rangers uh, to continue the death imagery. She always also tells uh, Trini, um, "Meet me where the dead ships right lie." Mm-hmm. So she's there is an obsession of de- of death here. She's going to bring death uh, on the on the universe or on the planet. Certainly, I mean they mm-hmm. they saw when Zordon scared the team half to hell with uh imagery of rita i mean all the imagery is yeah all the imagery is is is, uh it's muted colors it's things that are being drained Mm -hmm. it's apocalyptic yeah it is apocalyptic yeah yeah Yeah. and so yeah so you have all that and then she does kind of create life but it's kind of perversions of life because she can just manipulate matter it's not even you could make the argument it's not even really alive you know, the putties in this are actually more like golems and they call mm-hmm. them putties, but 
you know, they're actually, like I said, they're more like golems, which is the I'm a little bit I'm inspiration a little, for the Sentai counterparts. I'm actually a little bit surprised they went. I mean, it's obviously, you know, uh, fan service, but I'm su- a little surprised they went with putties because golems sounds a much more acceptable word to the general audience than putties. So, you know, the word putties was obviously there for the re- for reasons uh, for fan servicey reasons, but they could have, I would have been okay if they would have just called them golems because they were called golems in Jew Ranger. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, like I said, they're not even, they almost feel more like automatons. So they're not even really alive. You could right. make well, the well, rocks and dirt aren't alive. You know, gold yeah. isn't alive and she's only manipulating uh, those type of materials really. Right. Like mm-hmm. earth, earth materials. Right. But there is, a little bit, especially at the end, I do feel like, because obviously she was, she's actually a very much like a devil figure. You know, she was corrupted by a, uh, by a power lust, you know, thinking herself equal or greater than everyone else around her and doing whatever she could to acquire that. So in, in some way, she is a relatively simple villain, a, a very elemental villain, which I think for a story like this, it works perfectly fine. But I do feel like there is a I feel like you do get some shades of nuance right at the end when she goes into that whole speech. Like, you think I'm going to be the only one, you know, there are more who are coming. And, you know, she she kind of treats Goldar a little bit like a child, a little bit like it's Mm -hmm. her child. And she bonds Mm -hmm. with him for a brief time, because so I feel like maybe there's an element of, yeah, she's the traitor, but maybe there's an element of a desire to connect as well. And she can't do that because she's so hell bent on that power lust. Well, she's, she, she's so corrupted and she's so far removed from, from any, from having any healthy relationship. She has to create her own monster to relate. She has to create a, a, her own children to have Mm -hmm. something to relate to. Even if all it is, is to just order them around. So yeah, so she has to make children, so to speak, if only to just order them around. Right. So again, I think there's a there was some building blocks there that I think they could have built off of. Right. In a future movie, but I I still like this rendition. I think it's a good rendition. I do too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it, I like it more than I used to, and mm-hmm. I respect it more than I used to. Okay. For this unit, for much like much like Goldar, for this universe, for this thing that they were trying to build, this is completely acceptable. Well, speaking of Goldar, do I need to hit the button for you? <laughs> no, Nathan, you don't have to hit oh. the button. I've told you that. I, I, I told you that. I'm being a very respectful, reasonable human being. Oh. Um, but what do you funny. take me for, sir? What do you take me for, sir? I mean, I'll say uh, it first. So- <laughs> Goldar sucks. <laughs> do we need to hit the button for you jack no it's just i mean I, the, what can be said uh dave said in the drift space episode if you are a fan of goldar i am sorry yeah there's a reason why i've kind of jokingly called him not goldar in this here's the thing in terms of his function within this story he's fine he's fine if you're going to compare him to what we had before, he's a disappointment, a huge disappointment. And if people were upset that this is what you get for Goldar, I totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder, but I wonder from an audience perspective, would a, would an actual Wolfman 
dressed in gold armor actually worked. I think it could have, but the the commentary they talked about this. They they did this basically because they because there have been so many creatures since the original Goldar that were a lot like him that they wanted to do something new. And, you know, considering that Rita can manipulate matter, they felt like that was the way to go. Now, I think they could have played around with it. Clearly, she knows Goldar. There's a personality to Goldar, unlike the putties. There's a something of a relationship there, and I think that maybe that's something they could have unpacked. Maybe there's an essence of an actual person named Goldar that she was I'm using. wondering... I'm wondering because that I'm remembering the design. I'm wondering if, like you said, Nathan, if it's not the essence of an old friend, Mm -hmm. because if you look at Goldar's face, it's a pretty nondescript face. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing there except for some horns and what looks to be the faceplate for a ranger helmet. I was going to say, maybe she basically stole the essence of one of the rangers she killed. Like or, maybe he was a gold ranger and she, you know, she took his essence and as part of the makeup of this monster. Well, I've always found it interesting that both Goldar and the, the Megazord in this movie looks so share a, share they, a very de- share a design. Yeah. Design they both have horns. Yeah. They both have these kind of like wings on the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, neither one of them have faces. And I, I, I can't tell if it's supposed to mean that the Megazord was mimicking Goldar or maybe, uh, you know, Rita had like modeled Goldar after the Megazord, but she seemed pretty surprised when she saw the Megazord. I don't, I know don't if she... think the, I don't think the Megazord even exists. And we'll, we can get into this, but I don't think the Megazord even existed prior mm-hmm. to this. Right. That's I get the, I get the impression. I get the impression that the concept, cause it's, it's never brought up during the movie. It's never, no, it's, it's, we're, we're only talking about the actual dinosaurs, the actual dinosaurs. Um, it's never brought up. So when the Megazord is finally revealed, it feels like a, it feels like everyone is surprised that yeah. this happened. So that so that tells me that the Megazord was not even a concept mm. that this is a brand new thing that that happened like for like that happened because of our team coming together. And one thing I did notice, because I to be fair, I, to be honest with you, a lot like these suits. I wasn't big on the I wasn't big on the look of the Megazord. It was a little bit too transformery for me. Bayformers. But after Meg yeah, it was a little bit too Bayformers for me. But for but after kind of looking at the the Megazord itself and thinking about it, I th- the Megazord looks like a giant extension of their suits. Mm-hmm. And I found that to yeah. be really interesting. Mm-hmm. And a, you know, a, a, almost like a replica of Goldar, too. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe Goldar was supposed to be a, uh, I don't know, kind of look like it modeled after the Rangers in some way. And uh, maybe the right. Megazord was kind of like created in response to that, something that could take on uh, something right. that looked like that toe to toe. I don't right. know. Right. It, it's it's um, I mean, I'll be the first to say it. I don't particularly like the Megazord design. I don't like any of the Zord designs, really. Uh, they, I think they're all hideous. I think the design... <laughs> Eight-legged Mastodon? Yeah, no, I, I think the design aesthetics are are awful. There, there, there's just no... like, Especially compared to the... Uh, oh, the concept art. 
that that looked a lot, not a lot, but certainly closer to what I would have expected and certainly mm -hmm. more recognizable as the animals that they were supposed to be. Yeah. I don't understand why we gave three legs to or six legs to the Triceratops and the Mastodon. Uh, the, where, where, are, is this Avatar? What are we doing? Yeah, uh, the 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 director said it was to make it make them more nimble. <laughs> yeah, but the saber tooth tiger is pretty damn nimble. Yeah, that's why I was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think honestly, I think the I think the actual individual individual Zord redesigns were just redesigns for redesign's sake to make them appear. Now it doesn't mean they don't work in the context of the movie. They do, but for the sake of making them appear more ancient alien. Right. I fair. think the T-Rex and the pterodactyl fare the best. The T-Rex still looks like a yeah, T-Rex. The saber tooth tiger as well. Yeah. yeah and the, really and well. I like that the pterodactyl is basically a jet plane, jet fighter. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the Megazord is, it is the, all of them put together. I've heard some people complain. It's like, I can't figure out how it goes together. It's because it's not like Voltron or the original Megazord, where it's very clear which Zord becomes which body part. They, yeah, the production like designer the, mentioned. The Zords literally all come apart in pieces and then reassemble in different places as the Megazord. So it's more like you would have to take the toys, literally take them all apart piece by piece, and then reassemble them like Legos into the Megazord. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, it, also yeah. I want to say the special effects on Goldar do look cool because he's constantly undulating. Yeah. It's like, if you want to figure out how to make hetero work for you Godzilla fans out there, this might be the model. <laughs> that's, a, that's a word, undulating. Uh-huh. Anyway. Um, what I do in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I, I, no, that's I, what I, most people do after they go to Krispy Kreme. You know, just, <laughs> anyway, do we want to go into thematics? Since it's as good since, a time as any, since we can't go any further with the Megazord discussion without, unless you want to talk about, about the suits. The suits, I don't like the suits. Um, I think the concept art looks better. Personally, I wish that they would have made something a little less Iron Man, a little bit more spandex, more so, similar to similar to um, uh, uh, Man of Steel, where it's a little bit more form fitted, sort of like a second skin than actual armor. But it's that's not that's say. not spandex. It's just very kind of thin textured Kevlar almost. A second skin, a second skin. Yeah. I'll give the, the, the suits this much. Here, here's something I do respect the suits for. I, I can accept them as Power Ranger costumes. That's the main thing, okay? I don't particularly yeah. like the design. I, I mean, I'll just put it that way. I don't really like the design aesthetics. Um, and at the same time, though, it's kind of a non-issue because the rest of the movie just works so well. But yeah, here, here's something I do respect the suits for, the costumes for. They're actually wearing them. Yes. In, in a world where, you know, I'm watching, was it, a, uh, which Captain America had Black Panther premiere? It was the Civil War. The Civil War. Okay. Civil War, yeah. There's a fight between Captain America and Black Panther in that movie. And I'm sitting there watching the movie, and I can tell Black Panther actually isn't there. It's just a CGI, you know, character, just that, and, and uh, Chris Evans is basically swiping at air. 
And, and you see so many behind-the-scenes photos of people just kind of wearing green screen stuff for costumes that you would think would be pretty easy to make, like the Spider-Man costume. Like, wh why? Right. Just throw the spandex on. There's no reason for you to be in... Anyway, I really respected that they actually built the costumes for these actors to put on right. and wear yeah. and wear on set as opposed to just put them in a green, you know, green spandex all across the board and walk around and CGI the stuff for that. Th this movie has a lot more practical um, stuff in it than you would think. They have actual costumes. They have uh, a lot of sets with green screen behind it, but they, they built like, you know, a rocky area for them to train on and stuff like that. So I, I do respect them for the practicality in yeah. that instead of just, you know, CGIing more CG mm -hmm. on them. <laughs> and the and the suits were manufactured by Weta and they took mm -hmm. great care in this. And it was, it was a studio called Legacy that designed them. So they put a lot of work into making these suits happen. And I yeah. think even if you don't like the aesthetics, you have to appreciate the fact that they went the extra mile doing right this. right exactly and, and and we just we don't see that very much anymore in superhero movies right i feel like. and they but. did make sure that they were recognizable as the mmpr suits like mm -hmm. they started yeah. with those as their base and then just tried to figure out how can we modernize this which i think it is has, the right attitude has, to have it has the animal it has the animal aesthetic with the helmets it has the it has the diamond in the center of the chest it's there yeah and it, they it, even have the human, morphers on the belts, even though it doesn't really fit because they don't have morphers. <laughs> yeah. It, but, it, it, yeah. They, they went that far, but they don't serve a purpose, but they're there and I can respect them for at least trying to make it look like power Rangers. Mm -hmm. Anyway, <laughs> so, thematics. We have Jack to thank for this. You're welcome. You're welcome. You want to tell the, <laughs> tell the listeners with attitude, what our yeah. theme is. Yeah, yeah let's theme... uh, Jack go ahead and kick us off with thematics. Okay, yeah. So we I, I think I hope we all agree, but uh the the thing that I suggested was the the main theme of this film is love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The the method of morphing in this movie relies on acts of love and it shows doesn't tell this. We're we're never spoon-fed dialogue that confirms this. It's all in right. the characters and their actions and their dialogue to one another and their training. And I love, you know, again, I'll bring this back. I love the scene where Jason and Zach are in a physical brawl and Billy in an act of love for two people he cares about, two people he he doesn't want uh, fighting, breaks up that fight and he morphs. Right. He morphs. And then Zach tries to touch the costume. It disappears. And I consider that Zach probably doesn't feel as close to the others as as uh, Billy does at this moment in the movie. Right. So they're not all there yet. It was, it was it was a barometer to show where they were all uh, at the moment. And mm -hmm. uh, the next time this this love does something miraculous is after Billy died. And in a scene that's sort of evocative of the phrase, um, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They all agree that they would they would die for one another, which I I have a personal issue with the concept of dying for someone as an expression of love. But for the sake of the sake, I get what's being said here, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that this declaration is what what opened the morphing grid tells us that they're they're finally on the page Billy was on. 
Mm-hmm. And we as an audience have a new fixed point to gauge where their love for one another stands and that allows them to morph. And one of, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, apart from the campfire scene, is uh, you know Goldar pushing all the Zords into the Zeo Crystal Pit. The Zords are under heavy damage, being smashed together. And Gatton's uh, the writer, he, he knew exactly what to write here. <laughs> Short lines that speak volumes and, and yeah. escalated emotional stakes with each with each line being other uttered, you know, Jason, the first line is, he says, no one dies alone, mm-hmm. which dying alone is a horrible thing to think about. No one wants. Oh yeah. I've seen star Trek five. I know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, um, but, but they have each other. They have a great love in one another. They don't fear dying. They fear for one another because you have, again, Trini begging Zach to stay with her. And, uh, you have Jason and Kimberly reaching for one another. And you have Billy's line, which, God bless him, you know, we've called him the heart. Thank you for being my friends. Mm -hmm. There's a Golden Girls joke in here somewhere, but. uh, Thank uh, you for being. (laughs) Okay. Rest in peace, Betty White. Yep. That's that's, uh, all Billy wanted was connection. And, And I spoke about how, you know, he was, how interesting it was that he wanted that connection. Um, and mm-hmm. how it's so easy to overlook that mm-hmm. in, yeah. in people on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And finally, before their deaths, and I, I, I brought this up earlier, Kimberly Lell yells, hold on to each other. I went on a tirade about this on, on the drift space. But, uh, you know, I, again, I find it funny. The, the girl who was the most pessimistic about this, the girl who told Jason, it's weird to hear you say my name. We don't know each other, is the girl um, who tells everyone to hold on to each other. And, you know, it again, it's so easy to hear this line as a literal act, like literally hold on to one another before we go down with the ship. But we also often use the phrase as uh, um, an, an idiom to preserve connections with each other. And that's what literally happened. It literally manifested the Megazord. The Megazord was formed out of this manifestation of not wanting to let go of one another. And it's it's a gorgeous extension of what the Megazord already represents in the show and, and in Super Sentai. Uh, you know, we watch these transformation sequences as a trope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the original sort of thematic reason for Megazord giant mech transformations in, in this franchise is to emphasize a team becoming one, to emphasize the teamwork mo- motif. Let's be honest. Individual Zord battles are so few and far between that they really don't need multiple mechs to form into something every single episode. <laughs> but they 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 could cha- they could just have one giant robot summon, right? But the teamwork motif is such an important part of this franchise um, that y- we get it every single episode, and it's the sort of evolution that. Uh, that goes on here in this movie, the desire to preserve those relationships um, that they hold so dear literally manifested itself into a giant robot that physically connected them and their Zords into, uh, into one entity so they could save themselves and by extension the day. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah. the, the more they love each other, the more they love one another, the greater the powers they unlock. Mm-hmm. And it should also and be noted that, that- 
the these are five very different kids. None mm-hmm. of them were friends before all of this craziness. And the Zords were told to us by Alpha. These are modeled after the most powerful creatures on Earth, which at the time were dinosaurs. And then what happens at the end of this? Okay, they had no idea, as we've established, the Megazord was not a concept. They combined mm-hmm. together these very different kids and very different robots combined into what is now the most powerful being on the planet, a human being, because a human being can love. That is what separates human beings yeah. from animals. They have the capacity to love. You know, and I said this on the space. Oh, go on, go on, Matt. Uh, Mike, I was just gonna, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say and just point out here that, um, you know, relationships and bonds that are this deep, the power are of friendship. Typically, relationships and bonds <laughs> are typically for are typically formed through common ex, through common experiences, and typically by going through situations with each other, by like literally going through the fire with one another. Like going, like literally going through a refining fire and coming out the other side with one another. And I think that's what the Megazord represents. Um, also, I want to kind of jump on something really quick here that it's a thought that started with Megaforce and Super Megaforce. Um, especially after Jack, you had mentioned what you thought the thematics for this movie was, which was love. I would also argue that nostalgia also comes from a place of love. Because you have to love something to want to be nostalgic for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you finally get to our, um, when you finally get to the end, our thematic discussion within Megaforce, you'll kind of hear what we're, we'll go into more detail there. And we tell a little bit more of a, we tell more of a personal stories, you know, surrounding the concept of nostalgia, but I'll just kind of piggyback off of, off of, off of that a little bit. And just say that I think that, no, yes, nostalgia has its has its pitfalls and it's in its crutches, but it also comes from a place of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a little, that's a little bit more metatextual, mm-hmm. uh, than what we're actually well, overall talking about. But well, I think no, it's no, no. I think nature. that's applicable on a metatextual sense. We've talked about thematics that worked metatextually as well, because obviously, unlike what you thought for a long time, the people who worked on this love Power Rangers. That's why they were yeah. making this movie. They love right. the fans. They were making it for them. And the it's, like I said, it's tragic that that love was not returned by a large contingent of the fan base. But going okay. back to the movie itself, I think you, you Zordon makes a huge sacrifice. That was an act of love. And that's what brings Billy back. And basically makes it possible for them to, you know, solidify the team. And alpha, you know, I, I think you could argue that alpha is acting in love because he's trying to help the kids the whole time. Right. As a little bit of a mentor and extension of Zordon. And you see the parents, even in their own goofy ways in some form or another, are showing love to their kids, even if it's misguided. Mm. As we, especially yeah, yeah. with Mr. Scott, I would say, and probably Mrs. Taylor, because she's showing her gratitude to Zach for sacrificing as much as he has sure. for them. And, and then even Rita, we mentioned it a little bit, even Rita shows a little bit of at least concern. You know, if you want to call it love, you can for Goldar, because Goldar protects her. And then she try, and then she also saves Goldar. To a certain extent. Well, and aside of that, if I might chime in, 
I think something we missed on, uh, about Rita is that the film, it, it's funny, we, we talk about basically the power of love here, but we also, the film also hits on the insecurities of opening oneself to mm-hmm. love as well. Um, yeah. The film. Vulnerability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, the film opens with the end of a friendship. Mm-hmm. A a person being pushed away and betrayed by a friend, and then it continues with said person mentoring characters that must learn to love each other and and be friends, and then it ends with the person who pushed that mentor away warning these same characters that their friendship and loyalty can't last, mm-hmm. and that that's terrifying. And I think if we we sit on enough, if we sit on enough. It can terrify anyone because after she says that, Zach and Kimberly, they shake their heads and they say no, almost in denial. Why? Because because they're, they're, they're fearful. They're fearful of that possibility. Mm-hmm. But Jason, now a fully developed leader, says confidently, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it, it isn't pessimism on Jason's part. It's reality. Mm-hmm. The, the Rangers, they could lose each other. They could grow apart. They could betray one another, just like Rhea did. But J- but then Jason says, for now, I need you to give your staff and your coin to us. And see, there is a future where they could diverge. But at present... Yeah, that never-ending peace conference, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I see what you mean there. It, yeah. She's coming from a place of wounding. It Maybe. Or at least Wo- cynicism. Wounding or wound- cynicism. cynicism. She- she and Zordon have already lived this life that like they they have yet to. Right. And and it doesn't necessarily mean that like Well, just look at the events of the movie. Everything they accomplished was because they learned to love one another. Mm-hmm. And that accomplishment is something they will cherish or at least place great importance upon all their lives, but it does not secure perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, what we see with Rita is again a negative uh, is a negative example because yes. the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is that people say is apathy. But I would take it a step further and say the opposite of love is selfishness. Rita is incredibly selfish. Selfish, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you and can't be selfish and love. Love by its nature is unselfish. Well, well, and- it's, uh, Zordon has to go from. He he has to even go from selfishness to love, mm-hmm. right? He makes from love to he has to he goes from love to selfishness to love. He traverses that gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what there's a lot of universal truths that this film speaks, uh, and I think one thing we can kind of kind of hit on is that you know, listen, we we've all experienced the loss of someone we love or a friend, and I don't I don't mean the death of a loved one, you know. Um, often it hurts more when that person is still alive Mm -hmm. because we had, we had a relationship with them and something happened and we don't have them in our lives anymore. Mm -hmm. And we have to learn to live in a new world, a new reality without them there. Mm -hmm. And that is the reality of opening your, opening your, yourself up to anyone. The feeling of new relationships Mm -hmm. And new friendships is exciting, as we saw in this movie. It, it's comforting, but it's also risky. It and and there's uh, there's always a possibility of getting hurt 
and the fear of getting hurt. And we see in this movie those conflicting emotions, Billy and, and, and Zach excited for friends, Jason confronting Kimberly, but also Kimberly shaking her head in fear, denying the warning Rita gave the Rangers. But the truth is, Rita and Zordon were friends, and we, the audience, witnessed the end of that friendship. Can I, because you brought that up, because it's me and it's this show, can I give us all a little bit of C.S. Lewis along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. This is from The Four Loves. It's, oh, it is probably the best quotation from the entire book. And interestingly, this is from his chapter on Eros, which is romantic or uh, romantic love, which usually gets relegated as being the least of all the loves. You you can say erotic love on this podcast. I get it, but I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to elevate it a little bit here, okay, man. Anyway, stop it. Okay. Anyway, he said in the in that chapter, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries avoid all entanglements look at uh, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness but in that casket safe dark motionless airless it will change it will not be broken it will become unbreakable in, uh, impenetrable irredeemable to love is to be vulnerable That hits hard. <laughs> it's really hard, which is why that which is why that campfire scene is the that's the centerpiece of this movie. It's not any of the big crazy action sequences. It's that. Yeah, I agree. I, and most people will probably take issue with a Power Rangers story being reconceptualized as a drama. Um, I'm glad we at least got the chance to see how it would be done once mm -hmm. because it paid off and, and thematically it paid off and it hits really close to home. Mm -hmm. well as much as i would love to keep unpacking that we are a little crunched for time and we've gone on a heck of a lot longer than i was expecting <laughs> i was planning uh i was planning like maybe two 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 and a half hours for no. this discussion because and look at us <laughs> i knew well, i knew it was this was going to happen because the thematic stakes in this movie were so high that we, yeah. we had to dive into it right so. right but now it's time to get into the awards that. You stole from my other show that stole it from our friends at MVM. Which borrowed and perfected. Whatever. Go, let's, we got awards. <laughs> <laughs> We've got awards. <laughs> Starting got with awards. the power range of motion. Oh. <laughs> I hit the wrong button. <laughs> I think, no, I think you hit, you hit the right button the first time around. <laughs> For the best stunter fight scene. Jack, since... <laughs> you are the guest. We'll let you go first. Uh, best starter fight scene. I, I really, I enjoyed the putty battle. It's really the only battle we see uh, where they're in costume and fighting and whatnot. But I think my favorite part of it is when Jason, he kind of, uh, he jumps up in the air and his hands on one of the putties, I believe. And he throws his hand out and we see those, the, the power sword sort of uh, mm -hmm. uh, materialize. I didn't expect that to happen, and it, I was—I got really excited when Jason got his sword. That was—he's okay. was cool. the only one who gets a weapon. Yeah, in this movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just to piggyback off of that, I—I I had something similar, but it was an earlier part. 
mine went to when the Rangers were fighting the putties in the vertical water tunnel, which is oh, one of yeah. the best visuals in the entire movie. I have. Yeah, to say. that is a really good visual. And yeah. the, at this point, it's it's not quite invading the command center, which is a trope that we've remarked about a lot on this show, but they're trying to get there and then they intercept them and have this big underwater fight. And we don't typically see underwater fights in power Rangers. Nope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was unique. Yeah. So for mine, uh, I'm actually going to deviate a little bit because I, I I almost, I could have easily picked their first morph fight, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go with the one that established Rita as a credible threat because she kicked their ass uh, in the shipyards that ultimate, that fight between her and the Rangers that ultimately led to the death of Billy. Mm -hmm. Um, we've talked about on this show, you either make your villain as cool as possible, or you give them some kind of, you give them a little bit of nuance to make them as interesting as possible. Yeah. You make them a dynamic character. You make them a dynamic character. So upping the threat level by allowing Rita to effectively, you know, kill one of the Rangers after, you know, basically kicking their asses mm-hmm. um, was a really good way to do that. And it's something the original Rita never did. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. And then next up we have the ultra SFX Zord award. See, I said it right. <laughs> Michael, I say it right. Usually come on <laughs> for the best special effect. Jack, what do you got? All right. Um, special effect. Mm hmm. I'm just going to have to go with the suits because despite the fact mm-hmm. that I don't like their designs, I like the way that the fact that they are physical mm-hmm. suits. Uh, I liked how they, the helmets you know, opened up. They did the kind of Ninja Storm thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was what they wanted to do in the 95 movie, but they couldn't make it look yeah, good. Yeah, they couldn't make it look good. Uh, so it, I, I did appreciate how the suits were handled. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I liked that, uh, you know, the one visual effect that was added to the suits was the sort of like, you know, it looked like the galaxy of power mm-hmm. in their in their chests and whatnot. Yeah, in the so diamond. Was, yeah. Yeah. Mine goes back to what we were talking about before. It's the water tunnel and their especially their first passage through it. It's very it's very fantastical. It's very awe inspiring. Uh, it's very it's wondrous. Very ethereal. It's very ethereal. It's and I love that, it's you know, it's ethereal. they're passing through the barrier, you know, uh, from one world into the next. The, well, they're passing and they're passing through the barrier from strangers to friendship. And yeah, that as well. Yeah. And the fact that it's vertical. So they're going down. But then when they get to the bottom of the water, we still we don't know what's holding it up. But you know, when they get to the bottom, then they fall and things like that. It's it's such a clever way of doing things. It's a very unique visual. Mm-hmm. Michael. Yeah, it, and that and that type and that type of thing is found in nature. There are such things as underwater lakes. Mm. So that was kind of what it made me think of. But for my Ultra SFX Zord Award, I'm gonna go with the Megazord because the more I think about it and based on our thematic discussion, I had a different award, which was uh Zord, the reimagined this a reimagined Zordon because I just think the way they did it with like the pinwall and that whole that whole effect was really an interesting way of reimagining that character. But I'm going to go with the Megazord because of what the Megazord actually meant to the film and and my realization uh, after thinking about it that the Megazord is a totally new concept and so was friendship to these five individuals. Right, right. And then next we have more phenomenal Mad Libs for the best line. And Jack, I think you and I might have the same ones. 
I find it difficult to find a favorite line in this movie. Um, I I have a few. You know, I guess <laughs> honorable mentions will go to hold on. Uh, no, uh, we'll go to uh, thank you for being my friends. Right. Uh, you made you did something horrible that doesn't make you a horrible person. Be who you want to be. But I'm, I'm going to stick with hold on to each other because yeah. the simplicity of that line meant so much in the grand scheme of not just the character who said it, but the entire film. Right. I I went through a bunch of them. I considered Zordon's closing monologue. I thought about some of the, the villain lines from Rita, but I ended up going with the exchange that you were talking about, Jack. But I had all of the, the lines in that you know, that, that exchange, the no mm-hmm. one dies alone from Jason. Thank you for being my friends from Billy and hold on to each other from Kim. Just like yeah. the lead yeah. up to all of that. It was, yeah. it has such impact at that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, three for three, hold on to each other mm. because of what it meant to the, because of what it meant to the thematics of the movie. Has that ever happened? Like you have a guest host and you all three kind of. No, it's actually. I think this might be the first. Yeah, actually. (laughs) (laughs) We get a lot of times Michael and I have agreed on it, but on the same thing. But yeah, I don't think we've had a three for three. Like I could have easily. The reason why I could have easily just picked any of the little nostalgia lines. Oh, they said the thing. They said it's morphin time. They said, I, 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 they said, make my monster grow. But I think in terms, I like picking, I like picking lines that speak towards the thematics of a particular season or movie we're talking about. And I think hold on to me is such a short pithy, but impactful line. It Mm -hmm. deserves to be the award. Right. I agree. And then I, I I can't believe that happened for the craziest moment. (laughs) What did you have Jack? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say, okay, it's very small, but it's when it's the first time alpha five blinks. And you hear this almost. (laughs) Oh, cartoon kind of like and i'm like wait whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on <laughs> it, was like, it was like in final wars when we hear the whistle sound with the uh pimp I was like, what is that <laughs> oh, God. that scene in final wars is so weird <laughs> yeah so yeah I, I, it, it, it's the one moment that kind of takes me out of the movie i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> that was a strange does sound design decision there <laughs> yeah uh mine is it, it got me the first time it got me the most recent time when i rewatched it it's the moment when they're in the minivan and they're trying to outrun the you know the police and then they're trying to outrun the train and in any other movie they would have just barely gotten by it oh yeah they would have made it but they would have made it <laughs> but the director and the writer intentionally wanted to subvert that and it makes you know plot sense after that <laughs> but they don't make it. They get hit by the train. <laughs> yep, yep. I every time, every time it gets me. <laughs> oh crap! <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Nice job, <laughs> Michael. So, so this is such a this is such a thematically rich movie. I like the fact that I found a little piece of absurdity among amongst it all, and it's really silly. Uh, but it's Rita eating a donut. <laughs> oh, I do like that. I do like that, that part. Great too. 
<laughs> this is such a great image. <laughs> it's it's her just it's it's it, everything is going on around her. The Zords are in town. They're battling Goldar. All the chaos and destruction, and she's standing inside a Krispy Kreme, eating a donut. Hey, Rita does love something. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. She she loved that donut so much she ate it all. Up. <laughs> and with that, Michael, you know what time it is. It's morphin' time. This is the part where we give our final thoughts in, well, 90 seconds or less, I guess, here. Yeah, 90 seconds. All right. 90 seconds. Okay. Michael, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. On your mark, get set, go. I have to admit I was wrong. I, I, <gasps> I admit that I, I, was, I was wrong about this movie. Uh, I will be returning to this film. Uh, I will re- I will be returning to Power Rangers 2017 in the future, um, especially after having this discussion with you, Jack, and and you, Nathan. It's been it's been a really interesting discussion about a movie that I just wasn't all that high on to begin with. And I'm so glad that I watched those special features because it made me love the movie and appreciate what went into it even more. Red letter day. Oh, I feel so validated right now i've been i know i've been harping on you for months about this and like oh man this is gonna be so fun it's gonna turn into this big old brawl between you and jack because jack knew i knew jack loved it but i'm glad that you came around on this i i really am because as we I i hopefully we established with this episode it may not get all the aesthetics of rangers but it gets the heart of rangers um okay so i mean as i said on the drift space this version of power rangers uh, develops their powers through through the love they develop for one another. And if you strip away the tokusatsu, the poses, the roll calls, the martial arts, uh, you know, the franchise represents teamwork and unity. And in a logical evolution of that, this this movie is about how love connects that teamwork and unity to their powers. Um, it's it focused on the dramatic drama and uh, the character driven aspect of the franchise's themes. And I'm glad this franchise was was given the opportunity to explore that in this film. It does. It, 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 Time. It's the. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm just going to I'm just going to finish my thought anyway, because of it's my show. I can do what I want. Um, it definitely we've talked about on the show that something like like Megaforce, it has the appearance of the thing, just not necessarily the essence of the thing. This may not Power Rangers 2017 may not get all of the appearances correct, or at least the I should say it may not get all the appearances in the in in the ways that we fans would have preferred, but it does get the essence of Power Rangers correct. I would say so. All right. Thank you once again for being here, Jack. Let all the listeners with attitude know where they can find you and all of your content. So you can find me personally on Twitter at Gman of Mysterioid. Uh, you can check out my Substack, Deferential Wrath of a Rusting Markalite Cannon, at markalite.substack.com, which, which is real enough. Is real, yeah. And uh, check out the podcast I co-host with my friends, my my best friend, my little sister, uh, called the Drift Space. You can find it on all your favorite podcatchers. Uh, we had Jr. At, on the show a few months ago. Yeah, well, you did for uh, for SPD. Mm-hmm. You roped us all into it somehow. Uh, and you can, you can check us out on our socials at the drift space and check out our link tree app, uh, bit.ly backslash TDS links with a capital L. We don't know how we did that. Uh, and, and, you know, always stay strapped. That's my thing. That's, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much again, Jack, for coming here. And now, listeners with attitude, what are we going to tell them, Michael? We're going to tell them, may you change your mind on the 2017 Power Rangers movie. And may you love your friends and family as much as Rita loved that donut. And may the power protect you. See ya! Thank you for listening to The Power Trip, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton and Nathan Marchant. If you'd like to send us feedback, email us at powertrippod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at the Power Trip Pod, and join our official Facebook group, Power Rangers Legacy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other great podcasters. The podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Instagram at super underscore r underscore illustrations. Our theme songs are from the album Power of the Grid by Neil Stenson. We also use Galaxy Quest Instrumental by Heaven Wraith from the OC Remix album Jet Force Gemini Mizar Attacks. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. The Power Trip has no association with Saban Entertainment or Hasbro. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. And until next time, see ya! This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media, LLC.